What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Terror Table, a horror movie podcast that is uh, presented by your boy, Mitch, the voice you're hearing right now. Uh, it's just me this week. I have a, I have a guest co-host and then a special guest, technically two special guests, but one far less special than the other. So he's going to be my co-host on this one. Uh, Boozy's out this week. He couldn't make it for this. Uh, major bummer because I was hoping he'd be here. Co-hosting with me today is my partner in crime, my partner in madness that did become our short film, The Druid's Hand. Introducing returning guest of the show, the co-writer and producer of The Druid's Hand, Jesse Sawitzki. How's it going, Jambi? Hello, hello. I am doing very, very well. And you know what? I didn't realize I was going to be labeled as a co-host. So um, I should have uh, tried to negotiate for a bigger uh, cash settlement for this thing. Yeah, no, Boozy's just going to be taking home that Skrilla this week. You just get to, uh, well, you get to wear the captain's hat today. All right. Well, I cannot wait. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll be insulted less this time. Uh, doubtful. Actually, you would, you will be insulted less now that you're here to defend yourself. <laughs> yes, perfect. <laughs> uh, but yeah, of course, we are also joined by our friend and actor who played our scorched corpse creature in the Druid's hand, Rose herself. Welcome to the show, Gabe Buckles. How are you doing, Gabe? I'm good. I'm so excited to see you both again. It's been so long. It has been a long time. I think the last time we saw each other was at the premiere in person, um, yep. which is coming up on one year to the day that we're recording this. But yeah, we we have something really special planned for today. This is a little bit of a one-off episode slash just a big celebration. We're going to be talking at the end of this episode, we're going to be talking about the first three installments in the Conjuring franchise. That meaning uh, The Conjuring 1, Conjuring 2, and The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. Uh, so we'll be capping the episode off with that. But a little bit of backstory for those tuning in. Last year on Friday, June 3rd, we had our world premiere at the Dark Bridges Film Festival in our hometown of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, in front of a sold-out audience. And since then, uh, we have played our film, The Druid's Hand, at several festivals across North America, including Sin City Horror Fest in Las, Las Vegas, Fog Fest in St. John's, Newfoundland, Boomtown Film and Music Festival in Texas, Calgary Underground Film Festival, Portland Horror Festival, where we won Best Special Makeup Effects, Montreal's Requiem Fear Fest, where we took home Best Canadian Horror Short, and we also attended and played Scream Fest in Los Angeles, California. Today, we are so excited to be announcing and celebrating the online wide release of our short film, which will be living on the Scream Fest LA YouTube channel as of Friday, June 2nd, exactly one year from our premiere. Uh, so to celebrate this and to talk about this a little bit more, this is going to be kind of a bookend on this whole amazing experience. We have our creature herself. We got Jesse, who we, him and I started this thing from the beginning. And uh, this is just, we're going to just talk about the experience and, I don't know, kind of just reflect on it. And then, of course, we're going to be talking about three films in a franchise that I know Gabe uh, specifically is a big fan of, something that we bonded over during the shooting of The Druid's Hand. So, uh, Jesse, this all happened. Explain yourself. Yes, it certainly did. Um, hey, and thanks, by the way, for having the list of all the film festivals. That, that actually kind of ran through my mind earlier that we should maybe mention that. So I'm glad you had that full list because I definitely would have forgotten some of that stuff. Oh, and I guess, you know, while we're, you know, on that, uh, you know, it's 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 a bit of a self um humble brag in some ways in terms of uh, some of the festivals and awards that we got. But um, I guess also worth just uh, noting that we the, the Druid's Hand also was nominated for two Saskatchewan Independent Film Awards, um, including Best Short Film and the Technical Award for Best Cinematography, cinematography. which... 
Yeah, which 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 the latter of which we did win um, last December in Regina at the at the awards show there. So yeah, it's it's been a really really crazy journey so far, and um, yeah, I guess uh, it's, I just want to quickly. Tough. Sorry, I got to bump in here because I also there is a couple that I definitely missed, um, and I just the last one I want to shout out is Vancouver Independent Film Festival where we won Best Canadian Short Film. Uh, which was super, super exciting. But take it away, Jesse. I don't even know really where to start with this thing. Um, for, I, I guess for starters, I just want to say um, I am just super, super excited uh, that The Druid's Hand is finally going to be released on June 2nd. And the fact that ScreamFest is helping to sort of promote it and release it for us is a really, really cool thing. You know, it's it it's it's wild to think that we are coming up two years since we ran the original kickstarter and actually shot the short film and i know for me and you in particular um this this whole project and journey just kind of seems so old and done with all already in a lot of regards but it's still it's still pretty crazy that the majority of people that we know still haven't actually seen it um basically yeah. unless um you know unless you were at our premiere at the broadway theater or at the handful of the film festivals um yeah you know most people have not yet gotten the opportunity to see the full short film so i'm still super super excited that you know everybody who has been asking for nearly two years is finally going to be able to check it out yeah, no, exactly. And it's it, like you had mentioned, it's so cool that we're going to be able to put the fe- put the film on the Screamfest LA YouTube channel as a Friday, June 2nd, because uh, I know that was a huge that was a huge highlight for this whole experience. And it definitely was one of those things that, you know, it's now it's come and gone. That was in October, but we've had so much time to think about it and talk about it, Jesse, amongst us. Uh, but that was like one of the greatest experiences of my life. This whole film has just been the best experience of my life. The fact that you and I went from talking about making a short film to ending up on a red carpet at the Chinese theater uh, is just insane. So tell our listeners about your experience at Venice Beach. Oh, Venice Beach. Um, yeah. Uh, well, Screamfest was a very, very fun time for anybody. I'm like, I, I know Mitch has talked a little bit about it on the terror table, but maybe not in great detail, but um, Screamfest in LA, I guess, just in total was a really, really cool trip. I guess before we get to the Venice Beach part, I guess, you know, we can talk a little bit about uh, the actual just 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 the whole process of actually getting down there. And um, I know the on the opening night of Screamfest, which takes place right on Hollywood Boulevard, you know, it's like on, on, on the main, you know, like uh, like the Hollywood Walk of Fame on like the big famous sidewalk there. And I know the first night that we were there. Um, both me and you were sort of just staring at the Chinese theater and just 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 really just started laughing to ourselves that how in the hell did we start off in like my place in Elvina less than two years ago just thinking about trying to do something and now here we are you know standing in front of this iconic theater about to walk onto this red carpet like you said and you know uh, getting ready to show our film you know to a big sold out crowd right in right in you know downtown Los Angeles so yeah no it's insane and and at the same time, like that first night that we were there, they were premiering Halloween ends. So like Jamie Lee Curtis was there. We Arnold Schwarzenegger was there. There was like it was the most surreal thing ever for to just be in the vicinity of all of that. And especially thinking about, you know, where we came from with this and like not to make it sound like, you know, at the same time, we, we accomplished something really awesome here and I'm really proud of it. And uh, I got to start like apologizing before I celebrate it i get it. uh it's just in my nature to do it's in my nature to do that but like it really is just fucking insane to think about 
how this all came together and where we ended up taking it and the experiences that we were able to have. And we're only, we've only scratched the surface on like the stuff that was happening after we finished the film. We haven't even talked about like the making of the film where Gabe is going to share some of her insights and her experience on that. But it's just crazy how much work this has all been, but um, right out the gate, if this can tell anyone who's listening out there, anything it's to just do the damn thing. If you want to do something, because uh, you never know where you're going to end up. It was like an ongoing joke that, yeah, we're going to apply. Like I told you, we're going to apply for Scream Fest. And I remember even you were like, oh, OK, like it's our first film and whatever. Um, but we, we ended up getting into that one and uh, several other ones. And it's just been amazing. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Jesse. No, I guess, you know, uh, just to wrap up this story, because I th I think it is important for us, you know, maybe just maybe go go back a little bit to more of the beginning. And because um, I, I am also really excited to hear what Gabe has to say and just so she can hear or just so she can share some of her experiences with with us as well and and with 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 the rest of the listeners here but um just to go back to your original question about my trip to venice beach so i will just tack on that scream fest on top of it just being a really amazing fun um film festival uh scream fest treated the filmmakers who were in attendance very very well and the first two nights we were there there it included some 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 really fun after parties that we got to attend and both of them included open bars for for the filmmakers which um we kind of sank our feet into perhaps a little bit too much and then we're from saskatchewan yes and and on the third day it was like hey you know what we don't really have much plan for this afternoon let's let's take a little trek to, to down to venice beach and which resulted in about an hour-long uber ride of me really trying hard not to vomit and then trying to or trying to vomit inside a public bathroom on venice beach next to a man who happened to be smoking crack which believe it or not did not exactly make me feel too much better about myself in that moment but probably an experience i will never forget that was one of my favorite moments from that whole experience just because i was texting you like i was so just excited to be there <laughs> you're in the back seat and jesse's like he texts me he's like you need to stop talking because i'm gonna throw up and uh, I just knew I needed to bring that up today. Of course, of course. But yeah, it was a ton of fun. So let's go back to the beginning here, though. So let's open things up with Gabe, uh, Rose herself. Gabe, first of all, welcome back to the Terror Table. Last time you were on, we were talking about the uh, premiere and it was just coming up and we had a great conversation then. But we had so many people on, we weren't really able to dig into your specific experiences with this film but you were an absolute champion in this role and you surpassed any and all expectations we had and your spirit on set was infectious to everyone around you and we shot most our most difficult day first which included all of your scenes where you were covered head to toe in makeup um can you tell us and our listeners a little bit about the experience you had on the shoot just from the first day or the whole time just have at her the floor is yours <laughs> whatever you want to talk about but it, you can start with the first day because that first day was crazy we decided to get get all of the really difficult stuff out of the way first and then we quickly learned that oh this whole shoot's going to be difficult <laughs> it's hard making yeah. movies yeah the first morning I don't think any of us really were we hadn't gotten into the swing of things just yet so we didn't really know what was yet to come, even though we knew the script and we knew what had to be done, but it's different being there and doing everything in person. So I think once Aaron, Tegan, and Ksenia finally got the makeup on and I got those contacts in, I was like, oh boy, we are in for, we're in for a ride. That, that first day, I think in total, 
we started makeup, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, it was about 7 a.m. I think yeah. it was something like that. It took a couple hours, though they were quick. I cannot come on here and let this go by. Our makeup team, Ksenia, Aaron, and Tegan, did a yeah. phenomenal job. Yeah, they were they did incredible. Cool. They were amazing. And yeah, that first day, it, it was tough in this, like, some people didn't know until we said it, but I was wearing whiteout contacts where if someone was maybe right in front of my nose, I could see them or just the outline of them. And other than that, I couldn't see anybody at all. So you were leading me around. Everyone was taking my hand and leading me around that first day, I think, in total from when we ended, I think it was like 14 hours. Yeah, we we went long every day. In full makeup, yeah. So that shower afterwards was not very fun. Bless Jesse for letting me use his shower. I apologize for all the black that came off afterwards. Um, but the rest of the shoot was amazing. I I think about it all the time. We really worked like a well-oiled machine. Nobody on that set, crew or cast, was slacking. Everybody was up. Everybody was 100%. And it was fun. Like, even in very serious moments, we all had each other's backs. I think after that first day, we were all like, Kate, we're all in this together. We're a family. It was just, I don't know. We all had this weird, crazy connection to the film that we really wanted to do it justice and bring it to life. Yeah. So, and, and speaking on a personal level, because I mentioned this in the last episode that we, we shot together, I'm such a people pleaser. So you and, uh, and Tara and Jesse were like, please, no, we're done. We don't need any more. And I'm like, but we can do one more. It's okay. Yeah. I, I, it's okay. We can get the things. No, it was, it was so yeah. much fun. <laughs> against like, even, you know, this was my first time directing and it was like against my better judgment. You don't, you really don't know how you're going to react to things until you're there doing it. And um, I just remember knowing how difficult it was and seeing how difficult it was for you and how you persevered at every single corner. And there were times where it was like, no, we absolutely need to stop now. And you were just so adamant about wanting to move forward. And honestly, looking back on it, I probably should have been better about saying like, no, we should stop now. But um, it was just like the infectious spirit of everyone around us. And you being the one who's in the most difficult position out of everyone and being so adamant about wanting to push forward to create the best film possible it was like that's you know one of the very one of the many reasons why the film turned out the way that it did and how it's had the legs that it's had and i'm forever going to be in your debt for that and uh it was just an absolute absolute honor and treat to be able to have this insane crew ever like you know for the most part it was everyone's first film. Like there was people like Dylan Hershuck, our cinematographer, who was just, you know, amazing and came on board as one of the first people involved. He's just incredible. Um, he had been on many shoots before and he's been like a mentor to me in ways. Like over the years, I'd watch him create films. And uh, but other than that, it was like, you know, there were so many people that were just showing up for the first time, Jesse and myself included. And we're expected to, you know, live up to the the role that we chose to be in to lead everyone and to to take people on this journey and um it's so it's it's extremely fucking challenging and uh there's that old saying that no one will ever care about your baby more than you do and i i think that's true but at the time i really felt like everyone involved did care about it as much as i did and as much as jesse did and i think where it really came together 
was after that super difficult first day and then having breakfast together as a crew the next day and showing everyone the dailies and showing what we created. I think it was from that moment on, everyone was just like, let's fucking go. <laughs> and uh, it was the best, best feeling ever because then it just fueled the rest of the shoot. Yeah. Just to echo some of those thoughts and sort of build off of it. Um, yeah, you know, like I, I know me and Mitch have talked about this in a few different interviews and stuff, but, you know, really can't give enough credit and just shout outs to everybody involved um, with with the crew and every single department. Um, you know, like we've mentioned every, uh, the majority of people that, that, that helped us on this, on this film, uh, were essentially strangers, not, not, not only to us, but, but to everybody else. And then like you, like you already mentioned, um, everybody just really came together and just, yeah, just, just acted just like a really well put together team. And it's it, looking back on it, it's still pretty wild in the sense that, um, I, I think back about, you know, all the different, you know, uh, shots that we were setting up and all the different sequences that we had to pull off and just how many moving parts we had for a 13 minute long short film and sort of looking back at it being like, how in the hell did that actually all come together? Because as as much as Mitch and I had stuff, you know, planned out, um, just just amongst ourselves and with meeting with other crew members and whatnot uh it's it still felt like that that first morning when we all got the crew together for that initial meeting and we're just kind of talking about our first plans for the day i think even at that point there was still like a general feeling between us anyways of just like 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 do we actually know what the hell we're doing and is this actually going to work here um and then it was just you know bang 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 things started happening and you know three days later it, it 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 was done and we were all just exhausted and you know probably were ready for for about a week's sleep but yeah by far one of the most uh fulfilling um and just like fantastic things that i've gotten to gotten to do um in my life so far in terms of just like a creative project so i'm i'm super super honored that we had somebody like you gabe uh that that, that hopped on board um i know i've spoken to both mitch uh clark and Hugh Evans, who were the other two yeah. actors in the film, and I've and 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 I have told them both. No offense to you guys, but Gabe uh, was still like the MVP of that entire shoot, um, just for everything that you put yourself through physically and like emotionally, even because um, you you really brought it um, in every single thing that you did, and uh, it's safe to say that the Druid's hand would not have been what it is without you there so oh that means so much I'm very humbled like everyone's like oh wow I'm like oh I just aim I aim to please yeah so no you're you're tremendous and and like Mitch and Hugh were incredible too and that's been one of the most like rewarding parts about this process is seeing how we were all a bunch of strangers for the most part and now like Tegan is working very closely with Dylan all the time they're collaborators they work together and then Mitch Clark has been just absolutely killing it. Something we haven't announced on the podcast yet, which because we're going to have Mitch back. That's how we met is through the terror table here. Um, and he's become one of my really close friends. And Mitch was the first one to kind of really push me to do this. Like it was one of those things where we were just having a conversation. I said, you know, this is what I got to do or I feel like I need to do this. And he's like, well, if you ever want to shoot a film, like I'll act in it. I was like, no way. Like you, you do that. And 
And uh, that meant a lot, just having his support. And now Mitch has acted in a feature film that's going to be coming out wide. And he's got more acting roles coming up. He's got an agent. Like, he's he's taking it very seriously. And I can't wait to work with Mitch again. And you, Gabe, of course, and Hugh. Like, Hugh, like you guys were all just, like, such a godsend for people like us who are like, let's throw a film together in three months before I move to Vancouver. And it happened. And it was the best experience. But, you know, since then I've had, you know, it's been almost two years. I've had many nights where I will, I have lost sleep over the making of this film because I, you know, you start to question your own abilities and your role. And like, can I actually do this? Even though I did it, did I do it right? Did I do this wrong? And like, um, just knowing that I can see everyone, you know, excelling in their own fields after the film, that to me is enough to say that we did something right here people are are doing shit they're being creative and they're expressing themselves and that's the best thing to come out of it yeah and it's yeah and, and it's just been super super cool um like you already said like uh tagan has been working very closely with dylan in 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 his company versa films and you know we have we have some other crew members that have also collaborated or are working together to collaborate in the future on on some projects that are currently in the works and you know yeah just uh just to think back about again how uh you know, the majority of people were strangers the first day that we all sort of walked onto there and how really, um, you know, we've, we, we've made lasting friendships where even months or, and, you know, now, now coming up uh, years later, you know, being able to, to, you know, uh, meet up with, with some of the crew and really just, you know, just hanging out like, like, uh, close friends really. So it's just, yeah, there's been so much, so much, so many positive things that have come from it that, yeah, it's, it, it was a blast. Yeah, and there's there's no way like we're gonna do our best to shout out everyone involved throughout this episode. But like you know, if we miss someone, it's not because of uh, it's not for any other reason than we're trying to cover so much stuff here in a short amount of time. Make sure that we can get on to uh, the other part of the episode and everything. But like you had mentioned, Gabe, like when we brought like Tara, my sister is the AD. You just absolutely crushed it in that role, and you know she's always been my biggest supporter and. Uh, cheerleader and it has meant the world to me that she was there for all of that and to see her crush it in that role which I will say especially after nearly two years of working in this industry her job is by far the hardest job on a film set um, and she did a really great job and I'm really proud of her for that with that being said like she brought Ksenia to our attention she knew Ksenia from theater and when we brought Ksenia on board and then uh, like Tegan came aboard even later and Aaron came aboard last last minute we we had this idea like horror is so so especially the film we made if our creature didn't rule as hard as it does our film would have suffered greatly and seeing the creation like how we gave Ksenia and Tegan and Aaron some some visual references of just things that I really liked from films and things Jesse really liked from films and then seeing you walk out in person after their their makeup on a budget it was like it was one of the best feelings ever it was it was so cool so it meant a lot to me. I was in Saskatoon recently, just on a whim, and Ksenia, uh, Tegan, and Aaron all showed up, and that meant the world to me. So it's like, I was just so happy to see them again. But yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this. Just basically super grateful. <laughs> also, shout out uh, Connor Schick, because that dude is just the MVP, and he's, every time I'm back in Saskatoon, he's like one of the first people to reach out, and he's just such a such a gem of a human. Love that dude. 
Yeah, I'll just say, yeah, um, you know, I apologize to people listening right now because I, I also feel a little bit scatterbrained, just sort yeah. of like what, you know, wh- wh- where to go with it because because so much did happen. And again, we have so many people to thank uh, that, you know, it's pretty much impossible to go through every single person's role, obviously. But um, I do just want to add on that, on, on this note, that the first, uh, f- the first time seeing Gabe uh, come from the hall where the makeup was being done on her and when she came to the church where we were shooting like like on, on the very first day just seeing her in full makeup and with those contacts in it was just it was truly jaw-dropping just just seeing that and I think that that was also a moment where everybody was like holy shit yeah. like this thing looks super super legit here and we haven't even started you know working working with you on on camera even yeah and at, at this point too, um, I'm sure once the film um, has been on YouTube and some people have got uh, more people have gotten the chance to see it, I, I'm sure we'll be sharing some more behind the scenes like photos and clips that we have that we, that we've been sitting on for for nearly two years here. But um, one of my uh, one of my favorite moments as well was the night that you were in the full body makeup and with the contacts that effectively made you made you entirely blind. Um, it was so hilarious and 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 extremely creepy to just like turn around and see this big like burnt corpse demon with these glowing white eyes just sort of like standing in the corner just staring off into the distance because like because Gabe truly yeah because Gabe truly had no idea where she was or where she was standing but you just had this like super creepy looking being just always sort of like standing around just waiting for somebody to waiting for somebody to grab her hand and lead her to where to where she needed to be so and none of us knew about the you being blind thing until the last minute too because that that was like a very last minute thing where Ksenia made a call to her I think her mom was living in Vancouver where they have shops where you can get props and and contacts and stuff like that so she was like at the last minute she got her mom to get these white out contacts uh priority shipped them to Saskatchewan and they came the day before we started shooting and so like I had no idea that you weren't going to be able to see anything because what what do I know about contacts at that point and I remember it was so such a relief that we had Ray on set as well, like Jesse's partner, Ray Lynn, because it was like, what are the odds that we have someone who has experience in putting contacts into people? Uh, and Ray, it was like everyone just came together at the right moment. And it was like we were all just meant to be there. She was my lifesaver in the middle of the day. <clears throat> I mean, a lot of people were that very first day. I mentioned this in the last episode, too, but. I couldn't eat anything. Everything I touched went black. So I had to keep hands to myself and sort of stay in one spot until somebody moved me somewhere. But Aaron ran off in the middle of the day. He said, you haven't eaten anything. You haven't drank anything. I'm running to get you a coffee and a cup of fruit with a toothpick so that you don't mess up your makeup. And um, Ray at lunchtime, because, you know, she's a she, optometrist assistant. Is that, am I getting there right, Jesse? She, Yeah. For, uh during that time period she was <laughs> yeah so I because you know I couldn't touch them obviously because I would get black all over them and probably blind myself even more but she said oh I can take them out for you here look here and then look here and then out they went and then she was able to pop them back in after lunch that helped so much because in the church it got at times very overwhelming when one of your senses is essentially taken away from you and you know we're all there and you're trying to listen to direction and there's lights coming from different areas and you're trying to focus on what you need to do and you can't see and it's getting warm. That was a hot three days of filming that we did. It was a heat wave. Uh, yeah. Heat wave in Saskatchewan where there, there's no mountains blocking the sun. There's no, like the trees are, 
are just about as tall as you are. Like it's it's hot there. And we were setting live fires, something you could never yeah. do in Vancouver. You could never do that. Yeah. Every everything that everybody did helps helped so much. Yeah. Like no one on that set didn't look out for each other. We were all there. Mitch, the handful of times, even between takes, that you would come up to me, especially I don't know how much we want to talk about the film, but there was one particular scene that we shot in a room and you kept coming up to me and you're like, are you okay? Are you okay? How are you doing? Are you okay? And then even at lunchtime after that scene was done, you asked me how I was doing just to make sure that I was fine. It was just everyone cared so much about each other and everything that we did. And I think that really helped in the production of the film because if none of us gave a crap about each other, yeah, it just wouldn't have gone as well. But we were able to take the tension off and joke and Aaron took care of that himself with his puns and spilling coffee all over himself. Aaron waterboarding and- himself with coffee is one of the highlights. <laughs> Uh, and he's become a lifelong friend too. Like it's, it's so weird at the premiere, we found out our dads were business partners in the eighties and it's like, what are, what the fuck? And, uh, yeah. And I, I just love that. No, thank you. Thank you, Gam. I'm happy that you feel that way. Cause like, I remember that that was my, like, that was the heaviest scene in the whole film. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think I was also being like, are you okay? Because I wasn't sure if I was okay. It was at a moment where I was like, Jesus Christ, Jesse, what did we write? Like, this is, this is too much. This is really difficult. It had Hugh, you know, enacting some really horrible things with his son holding the boom mic, listening to his dad scream these horrible obscenities and commit an atrocious act. And I was, it was one of, that was the first moment where I felt like I was like, oh, part of filmmaking, like there's a lot of responsibility to it. You got to know what kind of energy you're putting out into the world and what, if it means something and and what if so what it means and that scene was so it's my favorite scene in the whole movie and you were so fucking good in it that's what upset me so much because it was like you sounded like you were actually being tortured and i was just like oh my god we, we gotta get get this girl a water bottle like we were so concerned i walked back after we finished and we we got the shot i walked back into the church and everyone i came through the doors and everyone that had been sitting in silence because we were just in the other room filming. Everyone, it was like a movie in itself. Everyone turned around slowly and they looked at me and they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, you were just like, are you like, are you okay? Scream, it was bloody so murder. bloody. Yeah. No, yeah. you were so, so yeah. good in every, every element of this film. But uh, yeah, no, it, it really was. It's just, yeah, it's an, it's, it's a type of experience where we're trying to sum it all up in a podcast that will be entertaining for everyone to listen to who wasn't there. Um, but it is one of those things. I, I just think if you have any desire to do something like this and uh, you have a strong desire and you're fortunate enough to be around people like what, uh, who Jesse and I surrounded ourselves with, we reached out when we, when we didn't have people, we reached out to people and they showed up and they, you know, did whatever they could with their time and their resources. And this is what we got out of it. And it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. So I just think you absolutely, you gotta, you gotta chase what you, what you care about. Yeah. And I think this experience really did show me that, um, how far something as simple as just, you know, like 
sending somebody a, a simple text message or an email even just being like, hey, we are working on this thing. We could use some extra help, not expecting you to actually be to to be able to help out. But, you know, if you could maybe like, you know, give us any pointers or maybe if you know somebody that that, that may be interested in helping out uh, just how incredibly far that goes, because if we hadn't done that, you know, with, with the with the first few crew members, um, you know, all of a sudden, once we had people like, you know, even once once Tara got on board, like you said, Tara got 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 Ksenia and I believe she also helped get get Laura Crossman, yes. our, our set designer on board as well. And it was just, you know, things, things just kind of continued to build up from there. And then, you know, and then it was all of a sudden, you know, like this person also knew somebody else yeah. um, who had some experience, say, in like in, in a sound department or working with the cameras or doing some other makeup. And, you know, I, I, I think without, you know, reaching out to those first few people. And again, not necessarily having any expectations from any of these people, but really, uh, really, it, it just went to show um, how much or how 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 easy it can be to get some really cool talented people involved in whatever type of project that, that you're working on as long as you're i i think able to just show that you are passionate about yep. it and that you actually have um have things happening right which um you know not to you know like just like pump up our own egos here or anything but um i genuinely do think that um you know me and you mitch we definitely did put together a, a pretty solid pitch and i you know i think once people saw our kickstarter um people did did quickly realize that we were doing something you know um uh, very very serious and it wasn't just you know we, we we weren't just trying to do something you know really really you know cheaper crappy in in our backyard. I mean, at that point, people had 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 every right to believe yeah. that's like that. That's exactly what we were going to um, to accomplish. But um, again, I I think it did spread out from there. That um, just again, pe people could could tell that this was something that we had a lot of really really great people attached to it very early on, which 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 we were very fortunate to have. And from there, yeah, it just it just continued to spiral out. So yeah, and we like like you said, Jesse, like we looking back on this whole experience like we really cared we really really cared you and i like the minute we decided to do this like i was driving out to alvina every like weeknights weekends i'd be bringing a stack full of blu-rays that we were going to study and then we were watching youtube videos we were like just doing whatever we could to learn no, full willingly knowing that we were going to have to you know if we're going to say we're going to do these things we got to show up like a big thing for me first day and that's something we talked about afterwards jesse is like that was my first time directing so i was like i didn't know if i was going to be any good but i knew that i had all these people show up time to start fucking faking it till you make it or pretending like you know and you know what what i learned from that experience is a lot of times your instincts will be right and um you know my instincts like sure i that was the first time i directed but i've been studying for this my entire life and it's the thing i've wanted to do my whole life and finally being able to have the opportunity to do it and with the crew that we had it was just uh it's a dream come true like you mentioned laura crossman she came aboard and in, in talking about reaching out to people laura was she had pre previous engagements the weekend that we were shooting so she knew she wasn't going to be able to be there but laura spent like a month and a half preparing films are made in prep she prepared the living hell out of this film, showed up for the first night, the one night that she could be there, and she made sure that she set us up for success. And our film would not look the way that it does if it wasn't for her. She, down to every little minor detail on the set, look at the way that, you think Mitch and Hugh, you think Gabe dressed like that? 
no she she thought about gabe like how she's this this woman who was set on fire so she made her dress have like little burn patches in them little details like mitch clark was wearing my plumbing boots at the time uh but then she brought these like brand new clothes out for him that we perfectly color coordinated between hugh and mitch and she muddied them up and made them dirty and look like they've been living in those clothes for for months and yeah and i will also um point out my own ignorance here i remember when we you had first mentioned about this 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 the set designer um uh laura crossman who we were going to talk to about about getting involved you know to, to like help like you know decorate and dress up um the church and you know to get some clothing ready and and all this stuff and you know at, at that point we obviously were already you know um sweating a lot just over budget everything like that and just like again you know like not wanting to expect just like free things from people um or you know or being really worried about asking too much from certain people and there was even i i, I will admit there were there were a few moments where i was even like like do, do you are you sure we actually need somebody like laura to even like decorate the church i mean like it's 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 a fully intact building already um you know like i mean we can easily just get like get get, get some clothes together for for hugh and mitch like trust me like we can get this done all on our own here and then I think the very first night that Laura came out, I was just like, well, I am going to eat my own fucking hat here right now, because in about 15 minutes, Laura just proved exactly how incredibly stupid I was to ever think that we could have pulled off anything in the way that that Laura did. And I mean, yeah, just even uh, looking back, even 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 at the trailer right now and so many of like kind of like the, like the little shots and previews that we have in there for for the full film and just, uh, you know, being able to even see stuff in the background where it's like that was 100 percent Laura and one. 100% would not have been the same if she wouldn't have put in uh, so much work on 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 her part. So, yeah, all around just the best possible people. I even I remember the the final night. We're going to move on here shortly. We're going to start talking about horror movies. Um, but I of course want to make sure that we talk about everything that Gabe wants to talk about with the Druid's hand uh while we have this chance, but like you know, I I've talked about this ad nauseum, but Jesse, like we, this started out where you and I were going through some major changes in our life and we were coming out of a pandemic. We hadn't seen each other in a while. Of course, we talked every day because we were buddies. Um, but it was like that night where you, you jokingly said, you want to come over and watch the four hour Snyder cut? <laughs> and I came over and uh, I expressed to you my that I was going to be leaving and pursuing film full time. And rather than laughing at me, like a lot of people would you were very supportive and encouraging of that and thought that it was a good idea. You're like, you got to at least do it. And I told you I wanted to make a short film before I left. And quickly, it just became like, no, this is happening. We're going to do this together. And if it wasn't for you, Jesse, your family, the town of Albina, our cast and crew, the supporters of the Kickstarter and the Terror Table community, I, I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. I was at my absolute bottom when when I came to your place that night and uh means a whole lot to me so just need to say that like an idiot absolutely well thank you it it is it is still it is still nice to hear and just to think back on because yeah like I already said earlier it's looking back just from when we first even you know thought of the idea of trying to do something and just how 
uh, just how quickly we hit the ground running and in a short matter, you know, in, in, in a short few months, um, you know, ha- doing, doing the, doing the whole Kickstarter video um, and, and, and doing a Kickstarter when we, we truthfully did not even really have a fully fleshed out idea at, at, at that point. Um, yeah. Just the fact that it all happened the way it did. Hey, I mean, yeah. again, it, it's, 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 it's tough to imagine that uh, something like that would ever happen twice, at least at the scale that we did it um, out here and especially on the budget that we had. But hey, um, we did do it. So we can still look back and just, you know, at least breathe a sigh of relief that we all came out of it. And there's so much, you know, so much positivity did did come from it. Yeah, absolutely. Gabe, what were your, what did, can you give our listeners and ourselves like some of your favorite moments from, from making this film? Oh, my favorite moments. There's so many. Really quickly, I want to touch on something that Jesse said earlier when people didn't really know what this was. When I first told my parents, hey, I'm going to be in this movie, this guy Mitch texted me. My parents immediately went up on guard and were like, what kind of movie are you going to be in and what and where? And I'm like, well, I can't really talk about it. So they were very estranged. And then they came out, you know, as the ball started rolling and they started realizing that it was actually a film and wasn't something creepy that we were shooting in some guy's garage. Then (laughs) things started to come to light and it started to be okay. And then they came to the premiere and they were pretty blown away. And my mom, you know, I grew up born and raised, uh, in a, in a Christian family. And my mom was like, yeah, I'm going, I got to go see you in this movie. So my parents came out and they came and saw it and terrified as she was, she, she loved every second of it. She ordered a VHS. I think Jesse, you guys probably delivered it to their place or Mitch did or whomever. That was all Jesse. Um, Yeah. And she, she talks about it all the time. And now it's a running joke, even in Colton's in my household that if I don't the following up rose is gonna come out so even while we were on the road doing ride the vibe shows last year during the tour we would get up and leave the hotel and he would make a beeline for the first tim hortons or mcdonald's that he could find because he's like i'm not dealing with rose this morning i don't want to we're getting you your coffee and that's going to be it and then she doesn't have to come out because i don't want to deal with that today anyway that was just a side tangent that i had to mention but favorite moment Maybe maybe to help you out, would you mind telling people how you felt when you first saw the film at, at our premiere at the Broadway Theater in Saskatoon? It was the same feeling that I felt the night that we watched the trailer as a cast together. It didn't feel real, even though I knew we did it and we had been talking about it for so long. It didn't feel real because ever since I was a kid, I had done... Um, you know, music or theater classes at the University of Saskatchewan. I've done drama in high school, all that stuff. And that's something that I've always wanted to do. And coming from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's not really something that you think can happen. Um, so I do have to give credits to Ksenia for reaching out to me. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it probably wouldn't have happened. So it, it was a dream come true and the whole time seeing it in full it was just it was amazing I couldn't stop smiling and also being amazed at how incredible it looked 
it looked so good. The music was amazing. Uh, the lighting, the timing of everything. And though, yeah, it's a, it's a 13 minute film. It's just, you could watch it over and over and over again. It's just, you, you can't get tired of it. And maybe that's me coming from a, from a different place because I was in it, but it's so good. And I do have to say, because Mitch, you're talking about, you know, staying up at night, not too sure about how you did. Both you and Jesse were phenomenal to work for. You both cared so much about everybody. You wanted everything to run smoothly and it did. And there's nothing that you guys did that at any point didn't make any of us, especially myself, feel like you didn't care, that it was all about the movie, that, you know, this is our thing. You both did so well. And it was such, such an, oh, voice crack. It was such an honor to work with you both. And it was so much fun. Everyone just made it fun. And I think that's what helped so much because it was the story of it is a heavier story. So to be able to go in between takes and have Derek say some stupid comment about <laughs> something helped so much, you know, being you got a chain wrapped around your neck with a burlap sack over you and he's standing beside you whispering stupid stuff to you. Like <laughs> the little things like that. I don't think to answer your question in a long-winded way that there's any one specific favorite there was just the little things that made everything come together and everybody working well together and checking in and laughing and then when it time to when it got time to get serious we all were able to get on the same wavelength and shoot the shot and we all did it together as a team it didn't feel like it was one person you know leading the pack we all really did it as a team and I'm beyond proud and seeing every single every time a new festival was announced where we were going especially we were on the road doing ride the vibe shows when it came announced that we were going to be uh premiering at the chinese theater and i was losing my mind because i'm also a star wars nerd yeah so i couldn't believe it but it just i'm like oh like hollywood really and even my parents, you know, my mom was like, you guys are from Saskatoon and you shot in a little town that you can drive across in five minutes and it's going to Hollywood. I'm like, yeah, we we all collectively did that. But the, the credence is really to you both because you guys, this was your, like you said, it's your baby. You guys made this happen. And it was just a superb honor to be a part of it. So thank you to you both. And should the opportunity ever present itself again, I would love to work with you both again. It was just, it was so much fun. So. That's all. Thank you, Gabe. Yeah, thank you. That that means so much. And like, I it even told you, like, I have no doubt in my mind that, you know, I'm doing this. I've spent this entire weekend writing uh, like a feature I'm trying to make. And you better believe that while I'm doing this, like I, a big part of it is like, I always wonder, will I ever have a crew as good as we had for this? Um, and if I were to ever have the opportunity to be able to bring people back, there's like not one person that I wouldn't. Uh, but specifically, like Gabe, like I really, I want to, you, 
I owe you so much <laughs> like for doing everything that you did. And it's not even that I just owe you. It's that you surpassed every expectation. I can't wait to hopefully be able to be in the position where I can make a movie with you again. I, I would love nothing more than that. All three of you, everyone, everyone in this that was involved with this. Um, but that's all. I'm now at the point where I'm in Vancouver where all this stuff happens. That's what I've been trying to do for two years. And I'm very much learning the, I'm just keeping my head down, trying to get stuff made, trying to get the material there and then see what happens. Don't get my hopes up. That's something Jesse really was great at is grounding me at every single turn being like, we could do this. And then Jesse was the voice of reason, which you need, you need that person to be like, it could, but how are you going to make that happen? How are we going to make that happen? And uh, the, the Druid's hand was just magic. So the last thing I want to say on that, though, you mentioning how it, it's a super dark film. I wish people could see how much laughter was on our set making that movie and how, like you said, the moment it came time to actually shoot, everyone is just pros, just absolute professionals. Uh, but there were so many fucking hilarious moments shooting this extremely depressing movie. And uh, I'm very proud of it. Yeah, and like I'll I'll just add kind of finally here. I mean, I mean Mitch, like um, you know, as much as as much as I do hate to praise you or you know try to give you any any or or too many accolades, um, but hey, man, like you know, you really did go through with it. You know, um, you did move out to Vancouver the fall after we shot the Druid's Hand, and you you know have have actively been working in in the tv and film industry out there and um i know i was lucky enough to kind of get a little bit of a glimpse at at at, at the next project that you, i know you are hoping to um get made here sooner than later and um it, it got me super super excited um i know like um me and you maybe necessarily haven't talked in great depths just about kind of uh you know like the personal projects that you are working on out there but um, honestly, like seeing what, what you were able to show me when you were out in Saskatchewan a couple of months ago, it was a really, really cool thing, um, to see. And I mean, Hey man, like I'm still, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm definitely really stoked for you that you are actually pursuing this and, you know, actively trying to get some, something like, 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 are you working on a new film or, or are you like doing, doing more in, in that realm? And oftentimes my answer is like, like, like no fucking way, <laughs> you know, but um, like for, for myself, I'm like, I, I, I joke. I'm, I'm not saying like, I, uh, like, I'm not saying never that um, I won't be involved in something else in the future, but um if the druid's hand was the first and only time that I ever do work on a film of any kind, um, I'm still super, super happy for the experience. And I just gen like, I'm, I feel like I'm just somebody, I, I just genuinely like being involved and doing creative stuff. And um, it's again, still, still a bit of a whirlwind um, that ev everything happened the way that it did. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely working on some other personal projects more in the visual art realm um, myself. So, um, you know, like uh, doing more films definitely hasn't been at the top of my list here currently. But again, man, um, it's I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm always going to be a supporter of what you're doing out there. And I, you know, I, I, I do think you absolutely killed it. Um, in terms of what you were able to do as as a director on the Druid's Hand as well, and yeah, again, man, that's like obviously w without you, um, the Druid's Hand 
wouldn't have happened either. I mean, there was no way that I was ever going to tackle something like this on my own. And, you know, and given the circumstances that we were both in, it was sort of just a perfect storm where all the pieces just fell together at the right place at the right time. And I'm just still super, super, super proud of it and proud of what we were able to accomplish. Thank you, Jesse. I love you so fucking much, man. <laughs> thank, you, thank you. That means a lot. And yeah, like it, just none of it would have happened if I wouldn't have had a friend like you doing this. And uh, and the big reason why I wanted you involved is because I knew that you always, you don't talk about doing things, you actually do them. And you've been doing it with your art ever since, which I am have proudly represented around my house. I know this is now starting to sound like a circle jerk here, uh, but I just, I'm a big fan. I'm a fan of Jesse Sawitzki the artist um both as a musician and as a comic book artist a graphic artist and like everything that you do i've been a supporter of you since we were both in our first shitty bands where we met each other uh so this is just all it's a great experience it was amazing um for the listeners i'm going to push us forward because any last thoughts before we move on i guess i'll just quickly say we're playing where our film is going to be on Screamfest LA, their YouTube channel. So if you just go to YouTube and search Screamfest LA, you'll be able to find the Druid's Hand there. I'm sure you'll also be able to click on just the Druid's Hand um, and you'll be able to find the film. And I hope you watch it and I hope you enjoy it. I think the funny part was at the premiere in Saskatoon, aside from my family and friends that came, was to be able to hear people murmuring amongst themselves when I got up on stage. And they went, wait a second, that doesn't, yeah, that doesn't match. And then people were talking to me afterwards and I signed autographs, which was cr crazy. I had a few people come up and be like, can you sign this for me? Which was a lot of fun, but it was so funny to have people come up to me and give a side eye glance to Colton and be like, yeah, that she did that. And he's like, yeah, yep. And I, I'm he, he calls me bean I'm just like I'm just a little bean yeah and people come up and they meet me and they're like yeah you don't match no you're the sweetest that doesn't compute. You're the sweetest woman and you you portrayed one of the most grotesque like by far the most grotesque thing I've ever been a part of um, and I'm very proud was, of that it was so much fun because yeah. I like and Colt knows this I love Halloween I love horror in preparation for this episode because we will be talking about The Conjuring. I'd wait till he was either, if he left work before me or if I got home before him to watch. Like, he, he bless him, he came to watch the premiere. But I love it. I love all of that. So being able to play Rose, like, she's she has stuck with me since filming, since the premiere, everything. It's just, it's a little, a little part of her is inside here. And she's just so powerful and so angry and just haunting and i love that about her and she's the and hero of the movie that's my favorite part is i had to say that in calgary i was like if it wasn't obvious rose is the, like the creature is the good guy in this movie yeah and that's something that i really like that we we decided to you know flip the script a little bit and show the the priests being the, the bad ones <laughs> And uh, with that in mind as well, I got to say, since I've been lucky enough to go to multiple festivals, Scream Fest being one of them, uh, most recently Calgary Underground Film Festival, which I can confidently say was one of the best weekends of my life. Every part, every all of the best days of my life had something to do with the Druid's Hand. Um, but being in a packed audience of people watching it, when I've seen, like I was with Jason while we were editing the thing for so long, 
And so I've seen the thing so many times to the point where it's just like, I it's I'm still I'm so proud of it, but like I've seen it so much that all the surprise, like all of that's gone. But being in an audience and hearing the audible groans, like I know Jesse can even talk about this, like at Screamfest, when you came out of the bag, I heard people go like, and hearing like their gasps was so exhilarating. And in Calgary, my favorite though was, you know, spoiler-ish, but a scene where you're getting a, a nail in your head. The guy sitting beside me had no idea that I was like there representing the film. And I just listened to him go, Jesus fucking Christ. Like he was like so put off by it. And that's such a good feeling. I love that. I just like seeing people react to to what we created. It was so much fun. It, Hell yeah. I know we have other things to talk about, but I could talk about this all the live long day. No, I agree. I agree that we spent a good amount of time on that. Hope people enjoyed listening to it. Now we're going to shift gears and we're going to start talking about uh, the Conjuring trilogy is what I'm calling it. And before people get mad online, because they always do, especially when you run a podcast, everyone knows more than you do. I'm fully aware there will be another Conjuring movie. But I'm calling it a trilogy because it's easier to say <laughs> and it's easier to type that out. Uh, but we're going to we're going to take a short little break here and then we're going to jump into The Conjuring from 2013, The Conjuring 2 from 2016 and The Conjuring The Devil Made Me Do It, which I believe came out right after we finished filming The Druid's Hand. So that would have been 2021. Either way, thank you so much for listening so far. And we'll see you on the other side where we're talking about this amazing trilogy. Right, it's 918. We're headed down into the cellar where the door's just opened on its own. You give us a sign that you want to communicate with us. Nothing. <laughs> what are you guys? Well, we've been called ghost hunters, paranormal researchers. But we prefer to be known simply as Ed and Lorraine Warren. There's someone here that would like to talk to you. There's something horrible happening in my house. It's November 1st, 1971. I'm sitting here with Carolyn Perrin, who, with her family, has been experiencing supernatural occurrences. You picking up anything in here, hon? Something awful happened here, Ed. What is it? Whatever Lorraine sees, feels, touches, it takes a toll on her. A little piece each time. You have a lot of spirits in here, but there's one that I'm most worried about because it is so hateful. Look what she made me do. We have to get out of here. That's not gonna help. This thing has latched itself to your family. Father, we've never seen nothing like this. I'm coming with you. No way. I can't lose you. There's a lady in a dirty nightgown that I see in my dreams. She's standing in front of my mom's bed. Do you want to see him? Yeah. And the music stops. You 
All right, and welcome to our main feature presentation where we are going to be doing a triple feature of The Conjuring, Conjuring 2 and The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Uh, we are talking about these because I know specifically I'm a huge fan of these movies. I always have been very transparent about that. And as a host of a horror movie podcast, there is a lot of snobbery among the horror community when it comes to mainstream horror movies. Uh, and I think that any of that vitriol thrown against at the very least, the first two Conjuring movies is silly as shit to me. Um, I'm a huge fan. I love these movies, and I've wanted to find the right person to celebrate them with. And I know it's something that came up instantly when Gabe and I met each other, where we were just talking about horror movies in general, and you would express that you love these movies. And, you know, Jesse and I, we even we snuck in two pretty major homages to the original The Conjuring film uh, in the Druid's hand. So it just seemed fitting to tackle these movies at this point um but before we get into all that gabe you can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself as a horror fan and the conjuring my love for horror kind of started out i think i was in elementary school and i think it ties into my love for halloween which where that came from i couldn't tell you it's just something that's just part of me and colton has had to accept that i have a little ceramic ghost that stays out year round and i'm always sending him halloween reels on on instagram and i also love the the paranormal which ties into a huge part of it but the conjuring came around i was in high school when i watched the first one with a group of friends and something about it stuck with me and i i don't get scared of horror movies there's a couple that stick with me in particular moments, but there was something about The Conjuring that was done so right that I thought this is more cool than scary. Like first time seeing it when I was younger, especially I hadn't seen a lot of horror movies at the time. We didn't really watch them in my household growing up. It was it was interesting to see and especially watching it back. The first one particularly I've seen I couldn't even tell you how many times now yeah. I'm so desensitized to it, but it's just a classic. It never gets old. Yeah, I could I could probably uh, recite the movie at this point. Seen that yeah. one so many times, but it's still such a treat to rewatch it for this. Yeah. The second one, though, that, that I was messaging you the other day that I, I went to rewatch, and I think you did too, just whenever it was recently for this, because I hadn't seen the second one. I've seen it a couple times, but it's been a minute since I've seen it, and I thought, man. Gotcha. I love the first one. Yeah. But there are some things about the second one that almost make me love it more than the first one. And I don't know if it's because I haven't rewatched it as much as the first one. Again, my love for the paranormal and ghosts. And I've actually had personal experience with ghosts. Um, so that's all an, of it. It's, it's, that's automatically interesting. I want to quickly dive into that because I know, actually, I'm not positive about Jesse, but I think. I think I am positive, maybe. Um, like, I'm very much not a person who believes in that kind of stuff. But I have, like, some of the people who are closest to me are very susceptible to it. So there's something about the storytelling that I love. And as a horror fan, growing up as a horror fan, even if I don't believe in it, it's fertile ground for incredible stories. And that's what I love about it. And I just love the spooky vibe of things. But you, so you actually believe in the paranormal and have experienced it. Um, which makes you absolutely experience these movies a little different than most people like myself. Yeah, 100%. Um, on a couple of different occasions, but one in particular, because now that I live in um, British Columbia, I live in Solista, um, or the shoe swap, as people call it. Yes. But 
I'm Saskatoon. I used to be a unit assistant in the pediatric intensive care unit of the Jim Pattinson Children's Hospital in Saskatoon. And it's my favorite job. It was a hard job. You see a lot of stuff that you don't forget. And obviously there's stuff I can't talk about, but it's a PICU. It's unfortunate, but children pass away there yeah. almost on the daily. So you'd have small things of the paper towel dispensers would go off by themselves, stuff like that. And you'd go, okay, you know, it's middle of the night. I don't think much of it. It's fine. But there was one night and I was even regaling the story to Colton. And we had a tub room where patients could go and the nurses could give them a bath. But in that tub room, there was a tub of toys. <clears throat> and it was, I, it had to be two or three in the morning. It was a night shift. And all of us were just sitting on our phones. It's a night shift. Nothing's happening at this point. And we start hearing this music. And we thought so, it was on repeat. And we thought someone had either opened TikTok or their Instagram reels and left it open on their phone to go and check on their patient or something. But it didn't stop. So eventually, after about five minutes, we all got this look of, okay, whose phone is out? We're all looking around. It's nobody. We're all sitting on our phones. And we noticed it's coming from the hallway of the tub room. And so myself and one of our transport nurses, because we have a, a helipad and our ambulance team, they all, she and I went up and we went down the hallway and it got louder. And we poked our heads into the tub room. And laying on top of all the toys was one of those kind of keyboard toys that lights up and makes noises. It's learn your ABCs or whatever. And we just saw the lights. But as soon as we kind of came fully into the doorway, it stopped. But it's back. It was sitting on top of all of the other toys. There wasn't anything pushing it. And my transport nurse kind of gave me a look. And I thought, okay. So we turned back around and it starts beeping and going off again. And I thought, oh. All right. And I'm pretty open to most things. Um, um, but I say most things. I know my mom's going to listen to this. I've never touched a Ouija board. I will not go there. Any of and that that's kind something of we're going to talk about a lot moving forward, too, because yeah. that's a big part of the content franchise. Yeah. Yeah. None of that, mom. It, no, I haven't. Don't worry. And I won't. Except that one time but... in your basement while you were sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but she started to give me, my nurse started to give me these looks because it doesn't freak me out. And I, I wouldn't call myself, maybe I'd call myself sensitive. I can walk into a place and if something feels weird, I'll, I'll feel it. Yeah. But I thought, oh, okay, you know, there's probably someone in here. And she looked at me like I had holes in my head. And I said, well, what unit are we in? Kids pass here all the time. There's the tub of toys right here. And it's perfect time. It's 3 a.m. Of course, yeah, you know, three, we're in the middle of a three o'clock, 315. That's the, the witching hour. Yeah. Which the Amityville yeah. horror taught us. Yes. And she, again, was just looking at me. So let's turn around one more time. Sure enough, we turn around, we start walking down the hall and the music and the lights start going again. So I said, okay. So I just turned around and she walked me, go right up and right up to the tub of toys. And they were going off and then they stopped. And I said, are you playing with the toy? And it went, and make a little noise and it stopped. And I said, okay, do you want to keep on playing with the toy? And it did it again. It went, I said, okay, that's fine. Oh my no one God. else is playing with the toys. You can play with the toys. And I could just feel her eyes on the back of my head. Like, what are you even? It didn't bug me. I'm like, well, yeah, this is the unit that where it happens. Yeah. I'm like, there, it wouldn't surprise me. So I'm like, yeah, that's fine. You can keep on playing. That's okay. You're safe to play. And I left it at that and we left and you could hear it. It went on for another, I don't know, 
15, 20 minutes and until it finally stopped. That's, an, yeah. See, I love stories like that, like and experiences yeah. like that that you've had, because that that's what always makes me so intrigued about it is like I so badly, and I'm not just saying this as like a tough dude, it's I want to experience that. I want I want to know that the paranormal is real. I want I want to have that experience. I just have never had one that there wasn't some other form of logical explanation. But as a horror filmmaker and as someone a horror fan and then also a horror filmmaker, you think about it and it's like some of the best stories come from, you know, our earliest memories of fear. And that's stories like this or experiences that people have had that you share with each other. And that's something that like this franchise is specifically built around. And it's such a soft spot for me. Like I love so many different facets of the genre, but if you see like the Druid's hand and then you see what the stuff that I planned on the road, it's like, oh my God, is it ever clear that this guy loves stuff like, you know, the conjuring and, you know, going back to like the polter poltergeist and the changeling, all these ghost stories. I love that stuff, but I just, uh, I, I'm always fascinated because, you know, some of my people closest to me have had these experiences. So when I say that I'm a skeptic and I don't believe it, it sounds like I'm being disrespectful and that's never the case. I never want to be that way, but I'm also just like, I just don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I love hearing about it though. And it helps when, you know, close friends like yourself and the other people that I'm mentioning uh, are all people that I, I trust. And it's like, why would they lie about this? Why would they make up that experience? They're not making it up. There might be sometimes not saying your time but sometimes there's another explanation 100 yeah but sometimes there absolutely isn't and that's what makes it so enticing jesse what about you yeah are you are you do you believe in ghosts are you are you afraid of any specific ghosts with me as per always is my best friend and night vision videographer peter paparazzo yo i'm not particularly afraid of any specific ghosts. and our deaf mutes well, I wouldn't say I, you know, I live my life in fear on a daily basis of ghosts. Um, and um, I wouldn't say I'm an overly superstitious person, just but I, 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 yes, exactly. Just a, just a little stitious. Um, yeah, no, I, I, uh, much like you, I've never really experienced anything directly myself, I guess, but um, I have enough friends and family that do have you know just like you know have have had some truly wild and very creepy and disturbing experiences that it's like you said even though some of them you you can sort of be like okay well it could have been x y or z but some of them like you do hear these stories or even um repeated stories say from like the same location or whatever it may be and you know uh those kinds of things do kind of make the hairs in the back of my neck still stand up and even a movie like the conjuring sort of like you said gabe um i wouldn't say i'm somebody who really gets scared from horror movies very much and not that like the conjuring you know like totally terrifies me but i know the first time i did see it like in 2013 i had watched it at home for the very first time and that was one of like the first movies in a long time and possibly one of the last movies that I can think of right now where after it ended um, I was walking down my dark hallway to go to the bathroom and I was genuinely freaked the hell out and I don't know the last time a movie really had that impact on me so it's uh, the first conjuring in particular is still a very standout movie for me and just yeah a movie that I do think um, uh, even though it may not be like perfect in all regard a, just like a more, a more modern classic for sure so I'm really excited to hear all of your thoughts on it. 
Yeah. And that, that's something I want to quickly mention too, is I have a vivid, like there are so many times where Jesse and I, you know, keep in mind that we decide to make a movie together where we disagree on so many different things. Like, but that's the best part about it is even when we disagree, we have good conversations. And like, that's one of the reasons why we're such close friends and why we became such close friends. But I will never forget the text messages I got because I remember telling you this was after I had lost a lot of good faith with you because I told you to watch a couple movies like The Wolfman, which I stand by. Uh, but Jesse's like, that movie's a piece of shit. Like we're talking about the remake. Like you really didn't like it. And then I was like, man, I think like I got out of the the original The Conjuring in 2013 and it just rocked me. And I was like, that movie was so good. Like you need to check it out. I remember you watched it and you immediately messaged me afterwards. You're like, yeah, it's genuinely scary. But above that, it's just a really good story. Like it's a good movie. And that's, I think we live in a time where people kind of write off some of these studio horror movies because they're built for the masses. They're given to everyone. And a lot of like, you know, a part of me being a part of this community is I come in contact with a lot of really jaded folks who only like the indie stuff and to me it's like there's just no debating that the conjuring is a fucking phenomenal movie and uh, i think that's the reason why it's become this huge franchise like it spawned what there's the conjuring conjuring 2 there's three annabelle movies there's a nun movie and then the conjuring devil made me do it and they have more planned it's like that doesn't happen without it being you know a cultural phenomenon of sorts um i you know i i often even forget that it has spawned you know so many spin-offs and 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 all of that um i maybe i i should add now that i almost bailed on this main feature conversation so i will admit to everybody now that um as much as i do love the first conjuring movie i i have only seen the second one once and it's been quite a few years and i still haven't seen the third one nor have i seen any of the other spin-offs like the annabelle movies or the nun so i i do feel like a bit of a poser during this conversation Not a poser. here but you're you're here for emotional support <laughs> and you're going to stick it out to the end but yeah gabe have you seen all of these movies like have you seen all three annabelle films as well i have seen every movie in the conjuring universe including I believe, I think, if I'm remembering this correctly, The Curse of La Llorona is also in that. That's what I was wondering. Is that part of it? And so I don't know if it technically is, but I know that Michael Chavez, who directed the third Conjuring movie, he also directed The Curse of La Llorona. And it has a lot of similarities to like the style and the aesthetic of these films. So I actually am not sure if they're connected, but I wouldn't okay. be surprised if they are. Okay, well, to answer your question, yes, I've seen okay. them all. So, like, because I yeah. fucking love Annabelle Creation, the second Annabelle movie. And Annabelle Comes Home was a lot of fun as well. That's the third one. Um, like, it, ha it has its moments, and they were really enjoyable. But I'm just going to come on and say it. I consider two of the movies that we're talking about today a Stone Cold classic. Yeah, I would highly, highly agree. I think also the reason why I love, especially... Conjuring 1 and 2, I'm going to keep talking about those two. I mean, as we could always expand to all the other ones in the, the universe, but 1 and 2 hit me differently because, like I mentioned earlier, I was born and raised in a Christian family, and my grandpa, my mom's dad, was a priest, and he had some crazy experiences where he had to go and help out some families, and actually it wasn't until a couple of years ago I would... I went and asked my my granny about some of the stuff that he went to go help with and that he saw because 
my mom, and this is again one of the reasons why I've never even dared to even touch even the box of a Ouija board. They sell them in like Toys R Us and stuff. But I think I was watching Ghost Adventures because I is that the Zach Baggins one? Is that the yes. yeah okay yeah yeah because I, I got into that in like grade eight and I just kept watching it because it's yeah that's whatever. fine yeah but she was so concerned understandably so that I would get into something darker because it is such a slippery slope if you really get into yeah. that side of things um, because she said oh your your grandpa one night came home from helping a family that had used one and uh, he just pulled myself and your aunt aside and said you just need to promise me that you will never touch one you'll never play with one if someone has one you leave their house and he never told them what happened that night and I asked my granny and she's like yeah he actually never mentioned it to me either what happened he just was different after that so I think I, the reason why I love one and two is because it hits close to home yeah. I love the paranormal and all of that I'm so fascinated by it I've had like I've mentioned personal experience with it um, not to obviously those extents but it's funny because I did mention earlier that horror movies don't scare me but there was something about seeing the ending, the credits rolling of the second Conjuring movie when they played the original audio that got me a little bit because, you know, you sit there and I, I've always wanted to go see the Warrens. It's a, it's a museum now. Is that right? Yeah, I think I think it's a museum. And that's so desensitized to horror at this point that like pretty much nothing. I don't want like I'm obsessed with the genre and I love horror movies. and want to make them until the day I die because I love the feelings that I got when I was scared of them. But now, even when I'm not scared of them, I still see just masterful storytelling. There's just really good stories in this genre. And these movies are a testament to that. But I don't get scared from anything. And rewatching these movies, like I was texting Jesse, I think it was last night, where I was like, I'm watching The Conjuring 2, and I forgot just how fucking hard this movie goes. Like It was genuinely creeping me out. And I'm like, I... I'm not even, I don't believe in any of this shit. I have my own feelings about the Warrens themselves, who I've studied for years. And whatever it is, it's just James Wan's filmmaking and everything that came together with it that, like, these mo the first two movies genuinely scare me still. They creep me out. And even Jesse said, he's like, I forgot how scary the first Conjuring movie is. So I guess this yeah. would be a good time to, Jesse, this is going to be your time to chat a little bit about the first one. Um, I'll lead you into it, though. I'm going to say like so like like I had mentioned, the first two films, they are directed by James Wan, who has gone on like he before this, he had created the Saw franchise. Um, so that there was a period in my high school years where I fell out of love with horror movies because we were getting movies like after Saw came out, everything was torture porn. And I just wasn't interested in that. It just never did anything for me. Now, going back to it, there's a couple like the original Saw is a really good movie just not generally my thing but he he brought back stories like with the insidious franchise which he also kickstarted, which it shares a lot of similarities to the conjuring huge fan of the insidious franchise uh but he was started like, making studio films that were hearkening back to spooky stories like the greats like poltergeist uh changeling don't look now and even the exorcist i think the exorcist is most prevalent with the original of the conjuring but yeah, he, he made this movie where in 2013, the synopsis is, in 1970, paranormal investigators and demonologists Lorraine Warren and Ed Warren 
are summoned to the home of Carolyn and Roger Parent. Uh, the parents and their five daughters have recently moved into a secluded farmhouse where a supernatural presence has made itself known. Though the manifestations are relatively benign at first, events soon escalate in horrifying fashion, especially after the Warrens discover the house's macabre history. This movie is rated R only because of how hard it goes. Not because there's no, there's no gore, there's no nudity, the language is tame. They rated it R just because it's scary. And watching it again, I'm like, damn right this is one of the scarier modern movies i've seen um but jesse what what are your thoughts on the original conjuring yeah the first conjuring just to you know kind of point out point out a few things about it um you know this is uh just a really great example just of how fantastic of a filmmaker james wan is in general um the conjuring is just a movie where even from the very beginning where they're going through the warren's sort of first encounter with the raggedy ann um doll there with with the family that in itself you know is is, is a little bit of a cheese ball thing but even that 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 intro of the movie it kind of starts to get under your skin and really just starts to set this tone that like you said the movie just like does not slow down and just there's so much going on in it right from the very beginning that really just creates this sense of just uneasiness and just overall creepiness to it that you know just really really builds up uh the the, the more it goes and I would say, um, even though The Conjuring, and you know, I, I, you know, you do hear some people that do talk down on it, just saying that the movie is just like a lot of jump scares and a lot of just you know like stuff being thrown at you, but unlike a lot of movies, even in this um, sort of su subgenre. Um, you know, with like, you know, paranormal or, or uh, the exorcism movies and ghosts and all that stuff, um, the vast majority or, you know, you can probably say all of the jump scares that even do happen in this movie um, are actually setting up something that is truly scary on screen. It's you you aren't just getting, you know, a big loud cue of music and a cat jumps out from the corner or a door just isn't slamming because of the wind or something like that. Um, there always is actively something going on that is you know going after this family in in the house and just as it continues to go on um you know they start kind of showing you more and more of the demon that is actually um you know trying to latch on to this family and every you know a small glimpse that you do get uh get of it uh throughout the film just again really just continues to just eat under your skin and by the end i feel like it is impossible to really just not be just like like holy shit um this is just building up to this like really really epic um ending here where it's uh you, you really don't even know where it's going or or how hard it is going to go because as you said this is an r-rated film and you know to sort of jump near the end of it um just with the scene with the mother in like that crawl space in the attic oh. where she has you know like where, where she's with the daughter i know the first time i watched it i was like holy shit like are they actually going through with this like is she actually going to like kill her daughter here i mean it, it doesn't actually happen 
sure but um the threat of it does feel so so real where you already pretty much like preparing yourself for this awful awful act to happen and i feel like when that scene ends you still feel like like it actually did happen and you're kind of just left just trying to catch your breath there a little bit and man i will still say this movie um the fucking scene where you first see the demon on top of the oh, wardrobe in the bedroom Sheba on that, the wardrobe. like i yeah, so like I I just rewatched this by myself about a week ago. Um, Ray Lynn, um, who also helped with the Druid's hand, she's like she has watched a lot of horror movies for somebody who is not a horror fan. She loves but you. One of like exactly but one of like like the one genre that she pretty much outright says she has no interest in watching is sort of like the like supernatural and spooky faces stuff and that scene uh with the demon on top of the wardrobe still i was just watching it um myself here uh, like i said a week ago even though i've seen it before a, a couple of times that scene still got to me where i was just like it, it it happens and it's just like yeah it's it's just a spooky face but the fucking scene ends and i was just like like i i i am genuinely on on edge yeah. right now and i do not feel great it's the, it's the <laughs> anticipation and that's why Juan is a master of his craft is that this guy knows how to craft scares better than any hollywood horror filmmaker out there and this this movie and the second one are a testament to that and like listen i'm just a james Wan fanboy even people who listen to the show, Jesse knows this. He still hasn't seen it, but I'm an Aquaman fanboy because I would have never seen Aquaman if it wasn't directed by James Bond. But I'm like, I will watch anything that that guy does. I got back into the Fast and the Furious franchise because he did one of the Fast and Furious. He did the seventh movie. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to need to watch six of these fucking things because I need to support everything that this guy does. But like you said, even we were texting about that the other night, Jesse, like I'm going to sound really crass here but that's what I do on the terror table. When Bathsheba is on top of the wardrobe, pretty much nothing in this world can make my butthole pucker up. <laughs> that scene. Like I'm like, Ooh, absolutely. Ooh, ooh. It's so, it's just creepy. And it's so much fun to watch. And even though, yeah, like you said, like you don't see them murder the kids. That's like, they don't even need to go to those lengths because the rest of it, it's just, it's paced so well. Like that whole scene, like we can talk, there's so many scenes and Conjuring 2 is relentless. There's, there's a scare every four minutes, but in the first one, sure. they, I do think looking back on it and I've had significant time to think about this because I'm a nerd and I love this franchise. The Conjuring is the best one. Like this first one is the best one because it's the most restrained. It like, there are those moments where it's that whole scene leading up to Bathsheba on top of the wardrobe. That's 10 minutes in the making. Whereas The Conjuring 2 has 40 of those, but it's got nearly the same runtime. And it's like, it just makes it makes it so much more impactful when you're like kind of following the characters, go from room to room, and the music is quiet. And like you said, Jesse, like a lot of people shit on jump scares. Jump scares are a huge part of horror. And it's a big reason why I love horror. Like, yeah, there's bad jump scares of course. where there's like a fucking cat jumps out or my biggest pet peeve is when a character will just walk up to someone at the perfect time, grab their shoulder and there's a loud like, Brr! and it's like, of course yeah. that's going to startle you. But in the conjuring, like the loud noises always tend to come three seconds after they normally would because the image that you're seeing is scarier then like it, it does the trick itself. The timing of the music goes really well with that too. Mm -hmm. The uh, the way that they do the first one so well 
that they didn't do i found as much in the second one though i do love the second one still the first one the way that they timed the fade out of the music to have that perfect bit of silence but it's just long enough that you're already kind of ready for the jump but it still doesn't quite happen yet and then it happens i mean the biggest thing when i was in high school or even elementary or no it was high school was everyone talking about the oh the clapping which was the original trailer too which is genius marketing it just it got underneath your your skin because it's the everyone you know it's the whole you're scared of the dark and what's in the dark yeah and the anticipation of what could happen and again the way that they frame the lighting the cinematography of it all especially of the first one is so 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 good there's no there's camp in the second one but i feel like it has to be especially with the crooked man yes because it is a toy so when i was rewatching it i thought that seems a little excessive but it it, it, he is a a toy i guess that becomes a thing so that makes sense but in the first one it's just this horrific scary thing that just is and you're almost powerless to stop it yeah and it's just the way that they go about everything is so well done. You can't give enough to how they shot the first film. I think you and I are going to have the exact same thoughts, Gabe, on this whole franchise, which makes total sense yeah. since we're buddies. Yeah, the, 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 this first film, there are some really, really incredible shots yeah. in this film. The cinematography is beautiful and, you know, uh, equally haunting throughout the whole movie but um just uh, there are some scenes that just almost kind of make you dizzy just the way it's done but not because they're they're really even fast or chaotic it's just that they are purposeful shots that are just making you like making the audience feel as like confused and just like you know yeah exactly and like one uh there's one shot in particular where um it's it's quite early on even where one of the kids is like looking under the bed and like is hearing some noises and is standing up and the camera is just doing this like full like um like rotation from under the bed and coming back up yep. and it just like places you in like this almost like sort of like weird like 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 dreamlike landscape where you're not even sure yeah, like if anything that is currently going on is actually real or happening or if these kids are just or or if it is going to be some some cheap like jump scare you know where yeah you know like there's going to be like like the the sister or one of the other kids or another family member just happened to be like in the next room or something was going on but it's just really effective in that sense and i feel like even from the uh, first shot where the family is arriving to the house for the first time um it does this really cool thing where it it it's sort of like almost uh makes it seem like it's it's like a pov shot of the demon just sort of that's like that's like you know like like alive in the house and just sort of like creeping and watching this family sort of enter in yeah, it's voyeuristic yeah exactly and i feel like this this is a film that i, I on my last rewatch here i think i i noticed that a lot more just in terms of how it always just feels like you are sort of creeping in and seeing all of the characters on screen in moments that you maybe shouldn't be there and like you said it, it's it's that it's it's that voyeuristic feel yeah. of like it's like yeah like i we shouldn't even really be seeing this and this is almost a little bit creepy that we are here seeing this all happen right now yeah no and it's like that's that i think the biggest reason why i'm specifically such a huge fan of the first two movies is my favorite era in film ever is the 1970s 
And these movies are so heavily inspired by 1970s filmmaking. And it's something that I'm taking forth with my next project is like, I love all of like the dolly zooms. They do that like crazy in The Conjuring, the first one where it's like, you're, you'll zero in on a character, but the whole environment will feel like it's coming towards you while the camera's going away. And it makes you yeah, feel like yeah, love. And they do that in Jaws, like the famous scene of Brody on the beach um, when like the, the sh- he first sees the shark attack and it, it's just the yeah. famous shot zooming into his face. Well, it's like they have the camera on a dolly, but they're zooming out or in vice versa. You can do whichever. And it's so fucking effective. And they do that throughout. It was the, the first movie was uh, DOP by John Leonetti, who also DOP'd The Mask. Like the Jim Carrey, the mask movie, which you can say very cool. He also DOP'd Mortal Kombat. Um, like so he's he's done a lot of work, but this guy is so clearly so visually apt and just speaks the same language that Juan does. And he also shot the first Insidious movie, which was also done by James Wan. And it just, yeah, like the first one specifically has such a beautiful aesthetic that I just I love. And on top of all that. The camera can only do so many tricks. It's the family. Like you love the family and you love the Warrens who I've been studying for years. And I don't know how most people feel about them, but like they are real, like they, they suck. And that's, that's kind of stuff that came out after the movies came out is, you know, it's also allegations, but like there, there's some really horrible things that these people have done. They're played so beautifully by Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga that you just fall in love with them. And like even see, and I didn't know because I haven't looked that much into them. You're gonna have to expand on that. But I will just say though, I believe what you're saying because I haven't looked at them myself. I actually want you to touch on that now that you said it because now I'm interested. But Patrick and Vera, Vera Farmiga. Oh, I love them. They're so good. I love them. And them talking about working together, it's just yeah. It's beautiful. And specifically, yeah. like you really, really feel that in the second one. Um, like I think that's one of the best parts about the second one. My favorite scene in the whole franchise, one of my favorite scenes in horror, doesn't involve horror at all. It's it's Ed Warren singing Elvis, um, which is ironic because uh, Elvis was also a pedophile. But uh there there are allegations that Ed Warren was a pedophile and that Lorraine kind of enabled it. Like they they had a girl living with them and they're I'm not here to talk about that stuff, but there is a lot of really negative stuff about them out there. Um, But I think as characters in a movie, like that's the thing is like, of course, Hollywood is going to like, I remember there was a big uproar because people were like, you're turning these really shitty people who exploited a lot of people. Like they went into the, they famously checked out the Amityville house. They covered that, which has now famously been debunked countless times like the Amityville house the the worst thing that happened there was I think it was uh was it yeah Lutz yeah the the Lutz family like it was a horrible tragedy but then they you know turned it into a ghost phenomenon and um but that's the thing is like famously movies have been doing that for years like they're look at like I said they made an Oscar nominated Elvis movie they seem to have forgotten to leave the part out where he married a 15 year old um but that's just how hollywood works it's like people aren't they they want to show movie characters not the real people um but i think that like the movie version of the warrens they're just it's impossible to not fall in love with them 
uh, like Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, they have this chemistry that's just so palpable. And uh, it really makes the movies work so much more. And it's same with the families in the first two. Like Ron Livingston and um, the Lily, they're so good. Yeah. And the last 15 minutes of the second movie is just your your heart is just and again it's not the warrens themselves it's the characters but the way that they play them your heart is just ripping mm-hmm. just that the way that they do it she starts crying and you're like no yeah. just don't go you gotta wait all of that but i also i remember when i first watched even the first conjuring movie because i first saw patrick wilson as uh raul in phantom of the opera right i had a little soft spot for him yes. so i was like oh now you have come to be yeah. but they're just they're so good you can help but love those characters and the way that those two play them they do it so well yeah no i told i totally agree like i'm a huge patrick wilson fan and i think it was the conjuring movies that really like set him over the edge for me it's one of my favorites and i think that's what's like what i'm most interested about the fifth insidious movie is patrick wilson's directing it and he has notorious he hates horror movies like he gets scared by them like they they work on him so he doesn't love it but i love the idea of imagining what a movie's going to look like directed by someone who hates horror movies uh because he's clearly been around like the greats like he's been in some of the best modern horror movies of the last couple of years it it still is kind of funny looking back that Patrick Wilson was in two of these like super iconic horror franchises now at this yeah. point so incredibly close together and and the fact that they do share you know some similar themes and I mean obviously James Wan was 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 the director behind both of them but um yeah uh, the Conjuring made me fall in love with, with Patrick Wilson and I mean yeah like I've I've been a huge huge fan of his ever since I ever since I did uh, first see Insidious and The Conjuring so. You got to check him out in Aquaman. It's a fantastic film. Yeah, you know, I've still neglected to actually watch that one, but hey, it's a blast. maybe it's a blast. maybe maybe there's one day yet. <laughs> yeah. So like the the first conjuring is it's it's a master. It's a modern masterpiece. It's so much fun. It's genuinely just well crafted and the story is beautiful and all the character like everything about it just works. Um, I think it's really interesting how it had a budget of $20 million and it made $320 million. There are two things in the Druid's hand that are heavily inspired by the conjuring. And the one is the blatant one where it's like, guys, we're not, we're not even hiding this. We're showing that Jesse and I love the conjuring and we wanted to, we wanted to pay homage to it. And there's a scene where you'll see Hugh is like under the banister and there's some legs hanging behind him. And that was inspired by that incredible image of uh, Lorraine Warren turning around and looking at Ed Warren and he's by the tree and you see Bathsheba's swinging legs, which is a scene that just that that shot just stood out to me so much. And I still it's like when I think of horror, I think of that scene like it's one of those movies that's just embedded in me. And uh, I love that. And then also, I know when we were trying to think of we're like partially we wanted to show we wanted to create something huge with the budget that we had. So a brilliant thing that they do in the conjuring is they cover, sorry, I, I mispronounced her name before it's Lily Taylor. It plays the mom in the the first conjuring. They put a bed sheet over her, like a cloth when she's in the chair at the end. And it's like, you can do so many different things by doing that. You can. And that was our 
it was partially because it made sense. It definitely made sense with the story that we were telling. We were showing that they were disposing of these people in these burlap sacks and whatnot. But in the scene that you're in, Gabe, which is my favorite scene in the film, you're covered with a cloth and uh, we're watching the characters enact something brutal. And that totally wasn't like, I'm just openly admitting that totally was inspired by The Conjuring. Um, so I think as someone who I love all types of horror, I fucking love this giant, giant Hollywood movie that people tend to shit on. And I think it's silly because it's a great movie. Oh, yeah. Do you find yourself feeling the need to back up your claims when you say that you love the Conjuring series? Because I feel like you're either you love it or you just you don't care yeah. for it at all. I feel like sometimes, but luckily, as the years have gone by, I just don't care. Like, yeah. <laughs> I've been at a I was at a festival recently where everyone was shitting on the new Evil Dead movie. And I'm like, Jesus, people can think what they want, but it's like. At a certain point, you can just see people's jealousy and jadedness in the way that they watch movies. I think if you're an intuitive film watcher, I'm not saying that if you didn't care for The Conjuring, you're wrong, but I'm saying to say that it's bad or to not at least acknowledge that it did exactly what it was meant to do, then you're not someone I'm interested in hearing your opinion on. <laughs> like, yeah, you have to at least admit that this is a really well-made movie. Oh, yeah, and and not ignore that... The, the 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 conjuring still has had a huge cultural impact in the horror genre despite the fact that maybe a lot of horror fans do not appreciate it or or ords aren't fans of it but like you said mitch um you know they're like on from so many technical aspects um it still is a very very su successful movie and really fires on so many cylinders that again it might not be a movie for you but i don't think you can say that it it is not that that it is not an effective film and that you know it 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 does tell a lot just for the fact that um it has had such a huge cultural impact and again has has spawned this entire conjuring verse right and yeah. you, you know obviously you can you know uh, in some ways you can probably argue that a lot of the sequel spin-offs maybe have detracted from some of the greatness that the original might have first brought but you can say that about every single franchise in horror history nearly right so Exactly. Yeah, you can say that about just any franchise. And like, yeah, so I totally, I totally agree. That being said, if people are listening and they like the Conjuring movies, and for some reason you haven't seen Annabelle Creation, I stand by that movie. I think that movie's fucking great. Um, really, really creepy film. But let's move on to the Conjuring 2. This one had a budget of $40 million. So they doubled the budget because that first one made $320 million. And guess what? Conjuring 2 made $320 million as well. So it was like everyone who showed up for the first one showed up for the second one. And the synopsis is, in 1977, paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren come out of self-imposed sabbatical to travel to Enfield, a, bur a borough in North London. There, they meet Peggy Hodgson, an overwhelmed single mother of four who tells, tells the couple that something evil is in their home. Ed and Lorraine believe her story when the youngest daughter starts to show signs of demonic possession. As the Warrens try to help the besieged girl, they become the next targets of the malicious spirit. This movie goes so fucking hard. Uh, Gabe, tell us about your thoughts about The Conjuring 2. It's, it's so, like the first is it's classic. You, you can't beat it, but there's something about the second one. I was trying to put it together when I was rewatching it. 
two days ago. In this one, there's almost more of a feeling of helplessness and dread that they really play into here and they really pull on your heartstrings, particularly with Ed and Lorraine's characters. And I am such, as much as a big horror movie fan as I am, I am such a sap for romance. And the way, oh, again, so romantic. it's just- This movie yeah, is so I, romantic and I love that about it. Yeah, and it's just the way that these two and I love watching interviews of them talking to each other about working with each other, just the way that they play into it and the way that they just feed into you. Like you genuinely, genuinely care about what happens to these characters. The second that they're disconnected by a door to the laundry area and Ed says he's got to go and he's got to go do this. You're on the edge of your seat and just yeah. the cry that comes from like, I love it. Because it just it gets you right there. There's not that to say that you don't care about the family in the first one, but they really play into this is why Lorraine hid herself away for eight days. This is the reason why it's drastic and you're waiting and it's impending and the shot of lightning comes and you see, you know what I'm talking about? It's just they amp it up so much in this one. Like and like, you know, when I first got out of the conjuring 2 which i was like sequels are never as good as the originals and the conjuring was so good that i went in with such i lowered my expectations going in i remember that and i went with boozy and diego who i started this ter the terror table with and i remember like that was one of the best theatrical experiences i've ever had because holy shit did the movie play like gangbusters like and boozy generally doesn't like this kind of stuff and he was so into it. And it made me more into it seeing my friend who's like, this isn't generally his jam. And he was just loving it. And the whole theater was just shuddering together. And but the reason, like looking back on it, because I went and saw it again after that, it was the room, the romance between the two characters, but Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson. It's one of those things like if you're an office fan, you can't imagine a world where Jim and Pam aren't together, like John Krasinski and and uh, Jenna Fisher should be together in real life because they're that good on screen. Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga just absolutely radiate romance and love in this movie. And it's so palpable throughout. Specifically, my favorite scene in the whole franchise is when Ed Warren's singing Elvis. Uh, there's the scene where he sings Elvis to the family. And I was telling about the the person that I'm working on my next film with. I I watched this film on Friday night again. And then yesterday he came over. We were working on the film all day. And I was showing him clips from The Conjuring 2 because he hadn't seen it. I'm like, just, I showed him like the, the nun scare, which we got to talk about, which is one of the yeah. most brilliantly crafted scares I've ever seen in my life. And then I showed him um, Janet sitting on the couch being interviewed by the by the news people. And like you hear her voice change. And it's like, He's like, oh, are you just showing me like the four scares in the movie? I'm like, no, there are there's a scare this quality every five minutes in this fucking movie. And yeah. by the time you get to the, the Elvis scene, it's such a reprieve. It's like finally this family and the audience, we get a break. We get a break and we get to see this beautiful moment. And then boom, we're right back into 30 minutes of fucking terror. And it's just yeah. so masterfully made. I get so excited talking about this movie. Who is your favorite antagonist in this film? 
because I forgot about it's been a while like I said since I've seen the second one I forgot about the crooked man until he showed up and I thought that was a brilliant play especially on the son that has his speech impediment because you just yes. want to pick him up and protect him like don't touch I know him. Touch you him. love these kids like they're so <sighs> good the London setting is just so beautiful and like this is one like this is one of the most like covered paranormal cases like the Enfield haunting um so like I had seen documentaries about this there's a movie that I've championed on the podcast for years called Ghost Watch which was a BBC production where they essentially recreated the Enfield haunting but it was on live television it's to me one of the like it's like the it had the war of the worlds effect where everyone thought that it was real and it fucking destroyed everyone gabe you got to check out ghost watch it's phenomenal it's so good um, is it on youtube or where is it? it i think it might be on youtube i know they just released it uh it's got to be summer because for a long time it was really hard to find um, but that one, it actually creeps me out as well, but it, cause it's kind of like a found footage. It was, but it was like, it was a Halloween special for the BBC. So they were like notable, like notable news anchors were doing this thinking that it would be funny. This was their special. And the, like, it, it went so hard that people were like calling in, they broke the, the landline calling in cause they were worried that this was actually happening. And this was in 1993. So it was like back in a time where it's like if CTV were making yeah. a, a news special and they really leaned into it saying that it was real. But that was all based around the Enfield haunting. And like you'll see that when you watch it. It's it's really, really good. I know there's there's so many antagonists in The Conjuring 2. Like they really amped it up. For the longest time, I thought The Conjuring 2 was better than the first one, and it might be, but it's like yeah. it just packs in so much more and I think that's why I like the original is that it's more simplistic and it it really has moments to breathe. And the second one does as well. But oh my God, like there are some some masterclass scare sequences in this movie. Yeah, um, even though I am um, definitely overdue for a rewatch on The Conjuring 2. And yeah, I just uh, somewhat regrettably just could not seem to find time to rewatch it in time to record this. But um I yeah will kind of maybe chime in there with like um I get why so many people and why especially Mitch like you guys on the terror table were so heavy and so big onto this movie um I would say it's probably the most like akin you know to like walking through one of those haunted houses that you go through say like the Universal Studios or like any other like types of like fairs where they have that set up because yeah there is constantly stuff um coming at you and stuff that is trying to scare you and um uh all, all credit to James Wan and everyone else involved in the film um the scares in this one are equally effective as well it's just i think um the reason why it didn't maybe have the big the, the the as big of an impact as the first conjuring is simply because like they are throwing so much at you and there are so many like extra characters and just like spectral things that are going on all at once where it it almost is a little bit um overwhelming at times where it's just like okay like we just saw this one really creepy thing and and like, as you said you know yeah like five minutes later the next thing is happening and then there's like this there's this there's this next demon or ghost or whatever it is is now coming to uh, um 
to scare you but um yeah but uh, again all credit to the filmmakers um it still is a very effective film um it's just it 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 just again wasn't really um for me as much as the first one maybe was yeah i definitely think you gotta still what i think you'll still have the same stance but like just knowing how you know um we were trying so hard to make sure we crafted the scares in our film i think this is like one where it's like my god is there just examples of plenty of how to do it and how not to do oh, it yeah. um but i think gabe you said it perfectly like you brought up the crooked man which is like i welcome it i love the crooked man in this movie but it is the thing that stands out so glaringly as out of place but like you said you kind of needed that like at that point like i've it's it's like the elvis scene where it's like okay this is a little ridiculous but i'm kind of here for it and plus it looks really cool like it's the they do the stop motion thing. And I remember a lot of people talking about like, oh, it's all CGI bullshit. And then when you watch, um, which I it's why I'm a collector, like all the Blu-rays, I watched the special features again for The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2. And it's crazy. It was all practical. Like it's it that person who played the crooked man was actually there looking exactly like that. There's actually an interview with um Billy or is it Billy? Am I getting it? Like the the old man. Bill, 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 oh, yeah, Bill, Bill Wilkins, Bill. Bill, Wilkins. Yeah. Bill, Bill, Billy. Um, yeah. There's an interview with him in full makeup. And it made me think, I'm like, God damn, I wish we would have got some interviews with Gabe. <laughs> like, dress the way that you were, just talking normally. Yeah. Because that, that's how, in the special features, I just thought it was hilarious. Because I'm like, he looks so scary. But it's so fun watching him just talk normally. Like, yeah, and we did this on this day. And James did this. And it's like, He's got the contacts in where he's got like the glowing snake eyes and yeah. it just looks so funny. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the subtlety, even though they do so many things that are very in your face, the subtlety of how they do some other things. So the shot of when the Warrens first come and they first want to, to talk to the entity that's in the house and they, um, I just watched this. Why are the names escaping me? The daughter, Janet. Um, when they sit, have her sit in on the couch and they you're facing the focus is on Patrick it's, and you have uh, to look and slowly but surely you see her becoming Bill. Bill it's yeah. oh, chef's it's, kiss. It's a brilliant thing. Yeah, it's so good. They use that. They do a split diopter lens where it's like it shifts focus from one side of the screen to the other. And it's just like a five minute uncut scene of Patrick Wilson murdering the role like just being so good and the best part about it is so i have this book called the demonologist which is this true life stories of ed and lorraine warren and in that book and i i went to the beach today just to read i wanted to read a couple of the stories just to refresh myself before we came on here because like um i really really dived into that book when i was younger because i was just so fascinated by all their stories and it's pretty much verbatim like the conversation that you you see the transcript in the book of ed warren talking to bill but they change it up obviously for the movie's sake and i think they did the right thing but the overall sentiment that is there and like the whole like when he starts like well how do you feel about this bill and he turns around and holds the holy cross up to him that all that all air quotes actually happened and i really i really admire that and 
just seeing how much like you just love Patrick Wilson's confidence in that scene. Um, but that's like brilliant filmmaking to me because, and that's one I showed my buddy yesterday. So I was like, watch this scene. That was one of the ones I showed him. And he was like, no, no. Is she, is she changing into him? Is she changing? And I was like, because it's so slow. I didn't notice the first time I watched it until it got to the end. I thought, wait a second. I had to go back, re-watch that section again. And I just stared right in that corner. And it's so painfully slow. But then you're like, oh, yeah. You can start to see. It's so arm. masterful. This is, Jesse, to yeah. jog your memory, I'm not sure if you'll remember this, but there's a scene where they want to, they're, they're trying to talk to Janet. And they're saying, we want to talk to whoever's possessing you right now so like uh but what they do is they make her take a glass of water they she takes a drink of water and holds it in her mouth and it's like if she's actually possessed she'll still be able to communicate with us and be able to spit the water out afterwards to show that it's like coming from a different realm rather than her mouth it's not just some girl faking a voice and that scene goes on for like five minutes and at the very end of it, when she comes back in focus, you watch her shrink it from being Bill Wilkins down back to Janet. She go, comes back in focus. And then all you see is they turn to her. She grabs a glass of water and she spits the water out. And I, I got chills. I got chills just thinking about it. It's so good. Yeah. I mean, stuff like that still is super, super cool. And like I said, um, the movie definitely has a lot of really, really cool stuff sequences that you know if you are into this type of horror movie um you know i do think you can really get a kick out out, out of stuff like that last couple things i have for this one is so i wanted to mention because the first one looks gorgeous as well but i honestly do think that the second one looks even better and it was dop'd by don burgess who was the director of photography for uh castaway forrest gump spider-man and aquaman he went on to work on Aquaman with James Wan. So shout out. Uh, but he also shot Contact, which if you're like a filming nerd, there's like a famous shot in Contact where people have been trying to dissect it for years being like, how the fuck did they do this? All you have to do is Google Contact shot and you'll you'll find it. And even if you're not into filmmaking, I think it's going to blow your mind being like, this is the kind of magic you can make with movies. And it makes sense that this this guy helped so much create these scenes that like what we were just talking about, the split diopter lens and then like switching focuses. It just fed into the story so well. And I love this movie. Like the only reason I still think the first one is my favorite is because this one does just take it a little too far, specifically at the end with like, I really like the nun is scary as shit in this movie. That nun scare sequence. Do you remember that one, Jesse? Where it's like she goes into the office, sees the painting, but then you see like the shadow of the nun walk out mm -hmm. and go along the walls and then behind the picture and you see her hands creep over the picture and she runs at you with the, the picture frame. It's brilliant, man. Like I love those shots that I have to say while we're on this topic of Alec, I could not get behind the Nun movie. I might, am I alone in that? No, you're not alone. Okay. I could, I, I couldn't. you and most of the world. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I, I watched it at home. Thank goodness that I didn't pay to go and see it. I watched the whole thing. I made it to the end, but I was like, okay. Cause when they show first show Valak, you're like, Oh, it's menacing. And the way, again, 
that whole shot of her going around the room fantastic I love the way that they do that but then they bring her back to have her own movie iconic character the less you know about them the more mysterious the better yeah and uh like I really really wanted to like the nun um which I wasn't a fan of but like Corin Hardy the director he had done an indie movie called The Hallow which is just fucking brilliant it's a movie boozy and I really like and then he finally got this like big Hollywood shot at making he got entered into the nun the conjuring universe and the nun made the most money out of any of the conjuring movies which is crazy like it made more money than both the first and the second movie it's just uh yeah really yeah it, it was a huge hit the nun too comes out this year like they're they're releasing another nun movie Hell and i think yeah. bonnie, bonnie aarons who plays the nun she's phenomenal like that character is so creepy and so good and like you had said gabe and i've talked about it so many times on the show but like i was raised religious as well that's why i'm so susceptible to this stuff like yeah. the the fear of god just it was always what really creeped me out and scared me and i think that's a big reason why i'm connected to this stuff but adding in the this nun character for lorraine warren specifically to be she's the one who's taunted by valak the whole time and it's like you know her questioning her faith and i just think it's it's a really brilliant way to go about it and the character's phenomenal i can say when i walked out of the conjuring 2 i wasn't like that nut i said that nun is fucking scary as hell unreal do yeah. I, what i want to see a full movie no <laughs> no it's it's like better to be left as just like a creepy kind of side piece yeah, it would have been as if they had made, I know he was just part of it because she was encompassing the, you know, she was uh, taking hold of Bill and becoming the other things in the home. But it, it would have been as if they had made a Crooked Man movie. It just wouldn't have worked. Although I will say on that note, they just the scene. Yeah, they were, the were going to make a Crooked Man movie. Oh, they for, were. For oh. years, for years, they just pulled back on it. Yeah, the one that I did forget about, though, the scene is when, um, what's the son's name? I can't remember the son's name. I can't remember the son's name. But, yeah, when he hears the bell and he goes to let the dog out and the dog shifts and becomes the crooked man. That one part, I was like, oh, and just, oh, and the sounds. The sounds is also a big thing that I know you guys added into the Druid's hand with all my, like, finger movements and everything like that those little things just work when he's like and you just see this dog becoming the crooked man it's just yeah i I love love that stuff it's so do we should we close up shop with the conjuring three do you guys want to chat about a little bit we can but i'm gonna be very honest i saw it once in the theaters I i haven't seen it since I am curious to hear your thoughts because again, I have never actually seen it. And I am, I am Mitch, honestly, I don't even know if I've really heard your exact thoughts on it. So yeah. The conjuring three, the devil made me do it. Uh, This one was made for $39 million and it made $206 million. That's the reason I'm mentioning the budgets on this one is that there's a clear drop off here. Granted it made what a hundred, $160 million. That's a pretty big W. That's a big success for the company. Um, but the the synopsis is paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren take on one of the most sensational cases of their careers after a cop stumbles upon a dazed and bloody young man walking down the road. Accused of murder, the suspect claims demonic possession as his defense. 
forcing the Warrens into a supernatural inquiry, unlike anything they've seen before. Are you familiar with the Devil Made Me Do It case? Not really. Yes. Yeah, it's coming back to me now that you said the synopsis, so. Yeah, like the, it's like, this is like a real case where a guy actually got off from murder because he said that he claimed that he was possessed by the devil. It's ridiculous to think that that could happen, um, that someone could claim that and get away with it. And obviously the movie sensationalizes and leans into all of the, the defendants claims that the devil actually did make him do it. Yeah, the, this movie, it's just, it's another, it's another family moving into a new home, automatic trope. That's like in so many of these horror movies, I wasn't a fan of it the first time I saw it. I'm still, I wouldn't say that I am, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad movie. It's just so clearly a drop from the first two. Um, yeah. It's kind of massive shoes to fill. Uh, but at the same time, like James Wan directed the first two Insidious movies and it's an unpopular opinion. Insidious 3 is my favorite out of the Insidious movies. And that was like one that I think I'm maybe the only person on earth who felt that way, but there's just something about that movie that I really connected with. But with this one, I just think that the first two Conjuring movies set the bar so high that there's just no way that it was going to, you know, reach those heights for me. And overall, I think it's, it's an interesting story. The movie is shot really well. It's acted well. Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga are back, but I just kind of felt it just felt a little hollow for me compared to the other two. I just didn't feel the the love that they have for each other. The all the things that I really loved about the first and second one were kind of vacant here for me. Yeah, I entirely agree. There wasn't so with this one, there wasn't the sense of urgency that you felt with the other ones. There wasn't the emotional connection to the characters like you did in the first two. And that goes with everybody every other character in the third movie and perhaps that's why i haven't made the effort to rewatch it maybe i should but it just it didn't hit home for me i didn't leave the theater feeling a sense of relief that everything turned out okay that they got everything figured out it was just it reminds me of i watched i listened to it over and over again the un, uh the unfriended episode of the terror table because i love <laughs> the unfriended franchise love those movies yeah also blows me away that you listen to the territory i do yes (laughs) i listen to it to and from work um but it's something where i think it was was boozy that was saying in the the second one where with the girlfriend like you just you just don't care really what happens i just i felt that way with this one whereas with the first two especially the second one you care so much about what happens. And I just didn't yeah. feel it with this third one. It just didn't hit home for me. If there's no emotional connection and you, they don't play into it, they don't really make you care about the characters and their relationships and what happens to them. It's just... Yeah, there's something about this one. There's an alarming amount of daylight, which I'm not normally like... I love when horror movies can scare you in the broad daylight. In The Devil Made Me Do It, most of it is like really beautiful daylight. But in The Conjuring 2, it's like those, it's kind of like thinking about back at another franchise that I I got so much enjoyment out of was the Paranormal Activity franchise, which is another one that gets shit on by a lot of people. But yeah. if you were there on opening night, like I was for most of those movies, that every time the camera would switch to night, 
everyone in the theater would be like, oh God, oh God, oh God, something's going to happen. Like that's the excitement that comes from these mainstream Hollywood horror movies that I really gravitate towards and I still get excited about. And it's just missing in this one. And to your credit, I think in the, as a side note in the Druid's Hand, that's where people really felt things is when we blacked out the church. Yes. That was such, and you know, people don't know we're all, you know, the way that we did it and we were all involved with that whole scene. I can not believe that that worked, but I'm so happy that it did. Cause I remember that was even one thing where Jesse and I were like, this is cool. How are we going to do it? It's like, we'll figure it out on the day. Yeah. <laughs> and we did. And yeah, that's literally what happened. <laughs> <laughs> like if people knew the atrocious extents that we had to go to, to get that shot it was like yeah. me on me on an uh a walkie talking there was like people at every single every single window in the church like three two one close and then everyone would like close at the wrong time and it looked really awkward i'm like fuck this isn't gonna work and then we just kept doing it and then finally nailed it and that is that that's i'd said my favorite scene is the because it was the hardest for for me was the the killer room but that shot is uh very very proud of that how it turned out especially yeah. big shouts out to jason hamill our editor who really helped with uh with making that look as smooth as it could yeah yeah i had to add that in there because i was also remembering that the other day like all of us jumped in to help with that that yep. shot. Every, all hands on deck for that like people don't realize that those windows are 30 feet in the air yeah so it's like people are like we didn't have people on ladders like yeah no um that that was probably one of the few things in the druid's hand that we were shooting where it was like if we were trying to do this on an actual film set we probably wouldn't have been allowed to so <laughs> the few people that like we had my mentor nick humphreys out uh for a couple of days of the shoot and that, that was a prime example of one of those things it's like this wouldn't pass osha rules <laughs> oh no <laughs> but it just goes back to the to the point that lighting and timing and sound yes. all play into the setting and the feeling of the film because it works so well for the and this isn't even coming from a bias standpoint it works so well for the druid's hand and they did it so well in the first and the second one yeah. even though in the second conjuring it it's London, so it's constantly kind of dark because of the rain. Yeah, but there's yeah. one scene though the in the nun scene, like where she goes, in, like that's something I noticed because I I hadn't seen the Conjuring two since well before we shot the Druid's Hand. So going back to it, it was one of those things where I even said to my buddy yesterday, I'm like, I didn't realize how big of an influence this movie was on me until after. And rewatching it, it's like when she, when Vera Farmiga goes into her office, all of her door windows slam shut. And it's yeah. like, that is like, it's a horror trope in a sense, but we still did it like very, like a lot differently than the way that they did. But that's, that's how horror works is like, you know, that one, like James Wan didn't create any of these scares, but he elaborated on all of them. That's what I love about it. It's like, this stuff has all been done before, but not by James Wan. And it's like he perfected it or something. Like I, yeah, the way that he went about things was just so out of the box and yet 
not. It just, it got under your skin. Obviously yeah. the second one, like I mentioned, there is more camp to it. Yeah. But in some parts, like I mentioned, like when the crooked man comes to life, you see it and you're like, ah, yeah, you know, that's, you know, like I said, the people are commenting, saying whatever they want to say, but also it's a children's like music box that it comes to life. It, of course, it's gonna look- it's like Bloody Mary. Yeah. Do you have any other closing thoughts on The Devil Made Me Do It before we round out this episode? Not really, but you mentioned I because I haven't been really keeping up. Actually, on to that note, there's a lot of horror movies that you guys keep talking about on the terror table that I haven't seen yet. Again, because I live with someone that just cannot handle oh, here's the music, and I just hear from the other room, turn it off. I don't want to hear it. Turn it off. So I have to <laughs> meticulously watch like Skinamarink is one that I've been dying to see and I haven't been able to see because I know you talk so highly about it. And all I'll be that. curious to hear what you think of that one because I feel like you and I line up really like we're very close in taste. I think so. But yeah. that is one that even that one, like I'm nervous about recommending that one to people, but everything that you've talked about, I'm like, I think Gabe will probably really like that one. I probably will. There's like quite a few that I still need to see, but you mentioned, because I try to keep up with as much as I can on um on twitter or what i see on on uh, instagram with people and their um their trailers and their updates is there a four a fourth coming out of the conjuring yeah yeah they say so i i believe they do they don't have a director yet but they do intend on the fourth one being the final conjuring movie okay because again in a series like you mentioned usually the second one isn't as good the second one did really well it was the third one that again i just need to watch it again i think i do and maybe i'll see it from different eyes now but maybe it'll hit a little bit differently i'm interested to see what they would do with the fourth because i know the warrens did many a case but i don't i think they've done to my knowledge their biggest ones have they not so far yeah and that's the other thing about the third one is like they do it in every movie where they're like the warrens were about to embark on their most sinister case yet and it's like you've said that the last three movies <laughs> but that is very much like a hollywood thing of course they're going to do that um but from what i understand like i don't know how you could top the enfield the enfield poltergeist is what the story's known as no and i definitely gotta look into that more it'll be interesting to see what this year's round of uh horror movies will be plus the new insidious as well i'm, I'm so, stoked for that one just because i like the even the fourth one everyone thought that it was gonna suck and i know a lot of people did think it sucked i really liked it but i think it's because i just love that i love that world like i i can't help it i'm sorry I like the insidious world. I like the conjuring world. I know I am nearly two years late to the game, but um, I do still have every intention of watching the third conjuring here at some point in time. So, and I mean, honestly, just hearing from what you two have said about it, it's it's not like it has like turned me away from, from even wanting to see it. So um, yeah, like, like I'm still, I, I'm still in on, on these storylines and these characters here. Like I said, even if I haven't, you know, been like the first one in line here, <laughs> especially for for this third one um but i think maybe one final thought for myself on like james wan and the conjuring is to 
please go and watch James Wan's uh, James Wan's Malignant. Yes, I feel like that is a criminally underrated movie. That um, I uh, there is no way that James Wan would have been able to make Malignant if <laughs> the Conjuring movies uh, weren't as successful as they were. Because Malignant, for a movie that had the budget that it did in a wide release, is such a batshit crazy insane movie that takes 100% inspiration from our beloved film basket case um, yes. that I feel like, so, like I had no clue about it. And it wasn't until like Mitch, you had like until you were like shitting your pants about it and told me about how much malignant was essentially like a retelling of basket case, but mixed with like the matrix. Like, soup. Yeah. The matrix and just so many other, and after that. so many other bizarre, like horror, like, yeah. And the, and, malignant is a film where i feel like you can even um sense some um like aesthetics from the conjuring and especially insidious in there but yeah. uh, he takes that movie to just such in such incredible lengths of insanity that again um it is just so fantastic that he did so well with more serious films like the conjuring and insidious that yeah. he was given the reins to do something as wild as malignant so you know what we can all just you know uh whether or not you like the conjuring films hey it helped bring us malignant which again yes. not enough people ha have have seen <laughs> exactly and boozy calls himself a malignant so i love shouting out any kind of respect <laughs> we can throw on malignant uh, gabe have you seen malignant no i haven't but now i should <laughs> yes it, it, it's on netflix uh like so they just released it on netflix which is why i'm like i'm watching that shit tonight again um that movie is so much fun but the only way that that movie exists it's the director of the conjuring and the insidious movies he made a fast and the furious movie and a dc movie aquaman and they were like you can do whatever you want with this one and he made the most bonkers horror movie i've seen in years and it went wide as bonkers as uh what was it you guys made us watch one of the nights of filming or was no that was the the retreat of the druid's hand what were no it was Oh, you guys clowns from outer I, space or something? What the heck was it that you made us one? watch? Oh, at the at like the wrap up party yeah. like on the beach, we had killer clowns from outer space being. Oh yes, yes. yeah, <laughs> killer clowns from outer space playing at drunken cinema at dark bridges. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. as bonkers as that, or bonkers in a good way, bonkers in a as in conjuring two way. In a different way, I would say a bit of column A, column B. <laughs> yes <laughs> for sure great it's, no Gabe I honestly think that you'll get a I think you will enjoy Malignant but it is so fucking over the top and like that's what I love about it it's oh god if we have very similar tastes in movies so if you say that you like it again that's why I really want to watch Skin and Marine so bad like I need to see it um okay. I generally take what you say on the terror table of I really like this movie or nope I didn't like this movie to yeah. heart because we have very similar tastes and backgrounds of horror that I think I'll probably like it so where can is it, it's on Netflix you said it's on, it's on Netflix malignant but All yeah I right. know that this was fantastic I'm happy that we could you know we're at something like 260 episodes of the terror table and the conjuring is such a big franchise for me and this is the first we've talked about it so thank you gabe for joining for this and thank you jesse for sticking it out even though you 
haven't seen the last two movies in a long time yeah no it, it was it, hey it, it was awesome just getting to catch up uh with you two especially you gabe you know uh, uh seeing each other in well over a year now now at this point and so yeah it's always great to chat with you and it was nice to yeah, you know to think back on some memories of the druid's hand and all that it's crazy stuff. it's been two years it's been two years i know mind, I know, mind blowing honestly yeah. Well, and like I was saying to to Mitch, we were just talking the other day when we were talking about the podcast. I'm like, even at the premiere, there was there's like even now, there's hundreds of stories that we still haven't even talked about. I feel like we should do a whole other Druid's Hand part two episode with the casting crew because there's so many things that didn't get brought up at the premiere. And I don't know if that was just excitement or we were short on time to watch it again, but like there was sure. again, there was it was like Mitch said it perfectly. It was so serious, but there was just like howling laughter in between scenes, in between days. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. Like, I hope one day we can really all sit down and and get it out. And the big thing, the big takeaway is that all of us are still friends. Colton and I had Aaron and his friend out. They camped out in a tent in our yard. Aaron made yeah. us the best steak with this like homemade rub that he made they went out and they got steak and it was like corn on the cob and uh, yeah. shout out to Aaron Savas because he he's just what a gem of a human yeah he's the absolute best after you guys visited that time he came and was at my place for the night too and it's I saw it, yeah. it was just so so great to see him and yeah no it's good vibes all around with everyone on the Druids crew uh if you're interested in seeing the film uh, we probably talked it up a lot if you haven't seen it yet, but it will be on the ScreamFest YouTube channel, YouTube ScreamFest LA, and you will find the Druid's Hand, which is going to be available wide on June 2nd, Friday, June 2nd. Woot woot. This is a nice little bookend on this amazing experience. So happy that I was able to talk with both of you guys. Um, any any last thoughts, Jesse? Do you want to let's plug uh, some of your stuff because you got like your band Swayze which is comprised of all of my favorite people. Um, like all my best buds from Saskatchewan are in your band and you guys are incredible. I know you guys have been playing lots of shows, working on stuff, and you also got a bunch of stuff in the art world. Let's talk about it a bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I was Swayze. I mean, yeah, you can find us around on the internets where like Swayze lives on social media because Swayze was not a very good band name to pick in terms of trying to find on Google and stuff. But yeah, for the uh, for the first time in the last couple of years, <clears throat> Swayze's actually been playing shows a lot more regularly. Um, we're definitely hoping within the next year to actually put out like another EP or an album of some point there. So um, we're kind of deep in the deep in the middle of working on new songs and stuff, which has been really, really fun to do. Um, and then on top of that, um, yeah, I'm I'm always kind of working on some, you know, a variety of visual art things. Um, right now for 2023, I'm really trying to work hard to put out some type of like graphic novel collected edition of, of a bunch of like comics and just like artwork in general. So um, I have a couple of, you know, like shorter comic stories that I have sort of have all planned out and in some cases all like roughed out. Now it's just like actually putting in the time and the work and getting them all polished up and actually presented in the way that i maybe tried or the, the way that i'm in, in envisioning them I, I i suppose so um that's still something that i've been kind of been developing slowly over the last couple of years and i feel like i'm finally 
confident enough to actually you know try to put out something uh in a, a bit a bit more tangible in terms of like a physical book so so yeah I'm, I'm super excited about that and that's again something i really just have my sights set on for this year and um i still do dabble like in some printmaking with like like lionel cut and like woodcut work and stuff like that um like my partner raylin who we've talked about a couple times we sort of have like a small little like art company kind of thing you can find us on instagram under under tawdry gubbins um we sell like homemade paper and like some and a bunch of our own artwork um raylin is actually uh like a very fantastic artist and like printmaker as well and she helps me out a lot but um but she does a lot of really fantastic artwork on her own as well and um especially this summer both of us are really hoping to spend a lot more time and energy on that um and you know throughout the last year we've both just been busy with work and ray's been back in school and stuff so yeah we're both looking forward to the summer here and really really putting a lot more yeah again just uh time and energy into those types of things so um yeah all, all stuff that i'm really you know i've been really really proud of and stuff that i'm really e eager for people to see more of so yeah that's about it hell yeah i can't wait for the eventual day that you're gonna release that comic book because that's been a long time coming and it's gonna be great and i'll be the first one to grab a copy <laughs> for <Can't> sure <laughs> gabe do you have anything you want to plug before we close up shop today uh yeah so i started one of my goals for 2023 was to start a blog so i have a blog it's called gabriel gabs you can follow me on instagram gabriel gabs underscore blog um, because we are going on tour again this summer please go follow ride the vibe on instagram and i'm gonna be very sentimental for a moment Go follow Colton on Instagram at Morrison underscore Colton, K-O-L-T-E-N. He does a bunch of amazing sled and bike stuff. Go watch him. Go follow him. Go give him support. He does a bunch of really cool things and we'll be touring around again this summer. Um, so keep an eye out on the Ride the Vibe Instagram for where we are doing shows as well. And aside from that, um, I'd love to say that I'm in the midst of doing movies and whatever, but where we live right now, we're a very small town, but Again, Mitch, if you make the call and you you know I'll be there next day, won't even matter. We're not far from each other now. And uh, that's about as much as we've got uh, going on at the moment. So oh, hell yeah. just... that's so exciting. I, I love seeing like it's pretty just clear how happy you are out out here. And I know we live in the same province now, but what people don't know is like how huge BC is um but gabe like if you and colton find yourselves even close to to vancouver of course we're gonna meet up we're gonna have dinner or something do something fun i'd love to love to see you guys yeah like a four-hour drive away from you i really really can't wait to see you again in person and see colton again in person and um yeah the goal is to obviously just just trying to trying to make movies trying to trying to keep doing this thing and um if there's ever that opportunity that I'm lucky enough to be able to give you that shout, Gabe, of course, you know, that's going to happen because I would absolutely love, I'd absolutely love to have that opportunity again. Um, I was currently trying to work really, really hard to put myself in that position where I'm able to do those kinds of things. And uh, it's not, it's not easy, but it's, uh, I'm just so grateful for everything that this film and you guys have done uh, for me last, last but not least, you know, it, it was a, scary as shit moving out here um this is something i haven't thought about in a while and this is just coming off on a whim but i want to say it i felt like i had made a huge mistake um when i decided that i wanted to move out here 
And when I started driving out, I was like, fuck, shouldn't have told people I was going to do this because if I fail, <laughs> now everyone's going to see it. Um, but the reality is being able to come out here with the Druid's Hand and to be able to show what we created together, it's helped me a lot. It's my resume of sorts. It's what's made a lot of people pay attention to me. And not a day goes by that I don't acknowledge that it wasn't just me that did this thing. And I'm really, really proud of it. And I'm really proud of everyone that we had involved. And uh, I hope listeners uh, and people who contributed to the Kickstarter are like, uh, see what kind of positive positivity that this this project has brought to the world for everyone involved. Love you guys. Thank you so much for joining on this episode of the Terror Table. And uh, yeah, we'll have you back again soon, Gabe. We got to We'll we'll have an episode where you'll be able to come on when Boozy's here, and we'll just chat horror movies in general. Please, I love it. I yeah, having there's some people that I just your schedules don't work, but to be able to get on here again with you and Boozy would be great. Yeah, um, absolutely. Just, yeah, yeah, we'll, so we'll do fun. it. And likewise for you, Jesse. And uh, yeah, thank you everyone so much for listening. Thank you for all of your support over the years for this project. Once again, ScreamFest LA YouTube, search the Druid's Hand. You'll find us there Friday, June 2nd. You're going to be able to see what a group of 30-ish plus people created in Alvina, Saskatchewan, a small town that Jesse's grown up in and that I spent a lot of time out just writing this damn thing with you and creating it. It's just been a magical experience. You can check out our short film, June 2nd. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Terror Table. <laughs>